The intermediate line advises a language and concept warning for the entire show. This episode of The Intermediate Line is brought to you by Nervous Water. For all your premium fly fishing requirements, please visit nervouswater.com.au. And Beast Brushes, Australian-made brushes and dubbing, professionally graded natural materials, plus a full shop for all of your fly tying needs at beastbrushes.com. Energy. Energy. And one, two, you're on the air. Welcome back, listeners. To no, 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 wait, do that again. Do that again. No, well, you sounded, you sounded, no, you sounded too John Lawsey then, man. <laughs> you, sounded, <laughs> you sounded like you take money from the Commonwealth Bank a little bit. Oh, do I sound like a charity, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, what? you don't. No, I haven't seen any black and white photos of you, mate, so I think you're safe there. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Someone Go just again. me around, takes photos. Yeah. Three, two. <laughs> Come on, leave that in. No, no we can't leave that yeah. in, mate. Three, people know. Three, two, one, you're on. Welcome back, listeners, to Intermediate Line. This yes. Is and Chris. Killed it, Volts. Yeah. Fucking get some. Yeah. 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 Great, great intro, Volts. I want to just uh, <laughs> congratulate on, on another great intro, mate. You're really ripping them out lately, and it's just... um. It's stunning to see, and it's 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 really rewarding to be a part of. Thanks. No worries, champ. It's been my pleasure, absolute <laughs> pleasure to entertain you, week in, week out, fortnight in, fortnight out. You know, <laughs> you put your left foot in, you put your right foot out. Um, yeah. Listen, mate. Let's just get past the hard issue right up, right off the top. No fishing for me, no fishing for you. Right, we've covered it. Yep. Let's move on. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. yeah. People have been fishing. The weather's been ace, but. Uh, yeah, no fishing, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Let's move on. Yeah. But I have seen uh, somebody's been making fly tying videos, mate. Quite like Who, that man? last one you did. You. <laughs> That's, that is true. Yeah. I have, in fact, sat down and spent the time to make as detailed video in regards to the, the, the light horseman fly as I could. Yeah. And let me let me tell you, I fucking hate talking to a camera. <laughs> <laughs> what is it about the camera, man? Like... I know you love talking, so you know, you know what? Must, must be the camera. <laughs> I yeah, I can. It doesn't talk back. It's uh, <laughs> I can um, I can talk on a podcast every week. I could get up in front of a crowd and talk, and uh, and I can tell you right now, I annoy the hell out of my wife by talking too much too. But you put me in front of a lens and staring at a lens, there's nothing more awkward in the world. I don't know how people who do that all the time do it. That's a special human, and uh, I can't do it. You know how many what are you takes it takes about? me. I don't know. I, I muddle my words. I, I think of things that I want to say and 
for some reason I want to say them fast and I want to get get to the point and I want to I want to say everything all at once and I've got no pattern no plan but if I write it down and I'm looking down at something as well it just I look back on the video I'm like oh that's that sucks man you can't you can't put that out so it takes me it's <laughs> by the time I record it and edit it and load it up it's a two-day thing that's that one video really hell yeah which uh but you know it's very detailed i go i've had a lot of um and thanks for people who've given me nice compliments and and like man there's been a lot of people who've bought the videos and the game changers and the deer head divers and and stuff mm. like that um all over the world it's been it's been pretty good that uh, to see the support and the feedback about how detailed they are is uh is been pretty rewarding for me because i do i put a lot of a lot of time and effort into explaining micro details and techniques based on my time as a full-time commercial fly tire so it's good good to get that feedback yeah right yeah and normally i would end up with a couple of flies from it yeah but those ones i don't know if i'll ever fish for murray cod well, i shouldn't say i'll never fish for murray cod again but i can't think of when i will anytime soon so i sent them to nick Knipe, the dude who um, taught me how to tie them the inventor the inventor i've sent yeah, right. He's bought flies off me, and I've sent flies to him many times before. Um, it's really rewarding to see Nick catch cod on your light horseman, you know? It's Because yeah. uh, he was there he was there right at the start. And um, I, I know Jay, um, Nick didn't invent the fly. There's a guy called Jason. I can't remember Jason's last name. And you're listening, Jason, I apologize. John Everett actually brought his name up on the podcast we did with him recently. But yeah, um, yeah, I, don't, I really can't remember his name. Do you know by any chance? Uh, no, no, it, it's escaped me, man. Jason, um, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, full credit to him, man. Looks good. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, but yeah, send him to Nick, and uh, yeah, hopefully you find some fish on him. But uh, yeah, if you're into into fishing the light horseman or want to know how I do it, go check it out. Yeah. At beastbrushes.com. Sponsors announcement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. No, that's pretty. Tight. It's subtler than usual, though, right? We've got to keep the lights on, you know. Got yeah. to keep the lights on. Hell yeah! It's good to have a roof. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Ironically, yeah. we we aren't face to face at the moment. We can't uh, we we can't be confronted by each other's appearances um, <laughs> like last time. <laughs> and I don't have any sus fly time materials here for you to guess what it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was that? That game, cockle cape. Yeah, Co cockle cape. <laughs> it's a cockle rooster. Sorry. Yeah. No. Yeah, but yeah, you didn't grab a pie to eat after handling that skunk tail, did you? No, nah, man. No, nah. I I didn't didn't eat with my hands for weeks. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I've got an I've got a uh, whole batch of skunk tails arriving shortly. Um, I don't know if they'll be for sale or I might distribute them amongst some friends to see what they think. But uh, it's a very interesting material. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So looking forward to that. We'll see yeah. how that goes. Yeah, speaking of sponsors, um, one of our very, very fine uh, sponsors for the show, Nervous Water, um, great man Pete. Legends. And, and Brett, yeah. Yep. Cheers, dudes. Um, Pete's lined up an absolute legend to uh, – and that's an overused term, so I'm going to say it again, legend. Um, we've got a great guest tonight who's a legend, and he's, uh, he's uh, originally from South Africa. He still lives there. We don't the suspense is killing him. me because he's a legend. <laughs> yeah, but, but I'm, I'm guessing 
Like, I, I'm yeah. someone who's come to the podcast, hasn't seen the ad that's up on Facebook or Instagram, and I must be wondering what the hell you're talking about. Who is it, Volts? Tell us who it is. Let's Let them know. All right. Well, mate, he's uh, pioneered fishing in the uh, Seychelles. Um, he's a real innovator in, in this field, too. Um, he's, uh, he's, I don't know what else. He's, he's very accomplished. He's fished Seychelles. He's fished uh, Norway salmon. He's fished across the world. Like, yeah, countless yeah. I think, places. I think we're ready for the name, bro. Yeah, mate. Yeah, Keith yeah. Rose Innes. Yeah, mate. <laughs> that for a drop. I was surprised. I thought you were going to say Paul Nelms here. I, I was expecting, you know, the guy with the Victor Moe and the rod over his shoulder. Like that oh, guy. Paul, Paul Nobody. Fits, no. Fits that, fits that description too. Come on, mate. <laughs> yeah, but no, Keith is uh, very accomplished. Um, you know, when we when we floated the idea initially of, of you know, doing a doing a podcast he was sort of like one of the one of the guys i thought oh man that that would be a it would be a dream to have keith on so i'm really looking forward to to uh chatting to keith tonight um discussing you know some of the uh incredible locations but probably more in depth um you know on the seychelles the seychelles are uh, just where where a lot of fly fishing dreams and aspirations were born really you know like um mm. You know, fish like bumpies, for example, that was pretty much pioneered in the Seychelles. Uh, Flash GTs was, you know, obviously been around as, you know, there's multiple theatres in the world where you can go chase them on the flats. But, you know, it's uh, maybe some of the techniques and fishing styles over there, fighting styles have been, you know, um, sort of championed by the, by the fishery over there developed. And, you know, and that's flowing into, that's, you know, that's sort of... Um, flowed into to tackle tackle selection um those techniques you know drag settings fighting techniques um, breaking strains in fly lines that sort of thing mm. so um you know that i'm really looking forward to talking to keith about about all of this and the influence it's had on uh on um fishing and tackle industry so yeah i've got some hard-hitting questions i want to ask keith and yeah. um you know, we, you know, as you know, we, we've pre-chatted to the dude in the past, and um, <clears throat> um, it's—I'm um, sure he's up for it. But uh, it, the innovations in the flies, like the origins of those things, I want to ask you about that. But I'm going to bring up yep. the subject of bumpies for sure yeah. tonight. Yep. Yeah. Uh, because you know, like pe people who listen to the show may remember, we've had um, another authority uh, from Cocos talk about it with Matt, Matt, Matt Krankovich. So that's right. Yep. Krankonolovich. Um, Krankonolovich. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, he described a, an interesting tale in regards to those things. So yep. let's get the lowdown and um, and we'll um, and we'll we'll talk to him in regards to his version of it. And yeah. I'm sure it'll be really interesting because, uh, yeah, I mean they're the same fish. So you know, Keith. Um, Keith is a uh, is a partner in um, two very interesting businesses. There's uh, Alphonse Fishing Co. Mm -hmm. which is an uh, expedition fishing company, obviously um, focusing on one of the the um, premium bits of uh, real estate in the um, in the Seychelles and it's spread over such a, a wide area, it's very diverse fisheries in all the different parts of the Seychelles and it'll probably outline all of those for us too. Mm. But, um, yeah, he's, uh, he's also a part owner um, or, or director of... Uh, of uh, Shilton Fly Reels, um, yeah, and I'm really looking forward to, to asking him about, uh, you know, different aspects of, of uh, you know, fly reels. You know, obviously Shilton entered the um, fairly, I won't say crowded space, but it was a space that was, you know, populated by some very big names when you know when when they started out. You know, Abel and Tibor and 
you know, I guess Islander, um, you know, some big names out there with with cork drags. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, going into there, there would have had to been a, a killer reason for them to to enter the market. Um, you know, very very competitive space. Mm. So, uh, I'm looking forward to finding out more about those because. Um, you know, uh, we've sort of spoke about it a few times on uh, on various podcasts about um, about both of us sort of getting into a, a few of Shilton reels, and um, and you know, it's just going to be great to to hear more about you know where where they were uh, dreamt up, born, where they were made, mm. philosophy behind them, and that. So yeah, be good. We're going to hear some stories of some pretty hardcore fishing and some pretty trialing times, and and. Um, you know, and people are probably no stranger to, to Keith's exploits and, and the people he's associated with. I'm going to yep. give um, Nervous Water a, a bit of a plug here as far as, like, you know, they helped us tee this up, as you said. But all the gear that you listen, you, you're listening to and you watch Keith and, and the guys who work for him, um, you know, all fish. They all fish Shiltons. They all use Cortland lines and they all use the Thomas and Thomas rods, you know. So mm. as, you listen, as you're listening to these stories of faraway places, you know, these guys expect reliability and performance so you know nervous waters have just you know like um really really got a great a great range and and you're going to listen to some um, interesting stories about how they perform tonight that's for sure um yeah. so so yeah no it's, it's good you know like in, in addition to that same with alf and caterfly with all their sponsors you know we're a podcast that's sponsored by all australian-owned companies and that, i think that's something you should really settle in for those that are listening in regards to you know mm. where your dollars are going you know so um yeah, it's I'm I'm really stoked to be associated with those guys because it's uh it puts the puts the funds back into into our country, and uh, and our fishing and they give back and that's really good. So yeah, yep. that was ruthless, but you know I, I had to say it. I wanted to say it. Very passionate about. It. I'm very stoked to be with them. <laughs> and you vaults and uh, maybe you could send me a photo. Um, you know while you're away or something like that. I, I don't know. I'm really don't know. What I'm saying I'm sort of feeling a bit lost right now. Can you just say something? Do you want me to sign it? Yeah, that'd be that'd be good. <laughs> you know, one of the one of the best sledges that yep. anyone has done to me was um I told you about the turtle in the sleeping bag. That was that was a good one. Um No. Oh, I'll tell you that's a job joke for another time. But okay. um but one of the best sledges is uh is a he's a plus seventy, he's a, he's older than seventy, he's a dude in um Byron Bay. He doesn't have much game, his name's Peter Prudeau. Oh, he yeah? um yeah, he caught this huge Archducky bonefish once, and it just became a bit of a joke. And he'd pull it out on fly fishing forum every now and again, and everyone go, oh, "Huge bone," you know, because it's something he hadn't heard very often. And mm -hmm. um, and anyway, um, so <laughs> so Pete had one photo of this thing, and and uh, became a bit of a private joke between us. And then one day, I, I get this, uh, I get um, uh, the the postman rings the doorbell, and I get this little package. What the fuck's this? Byron Bay. Open it up. It's one of the, it's a coffee mug, right? And Pete's had this photo <laughs> of him with his huge bonefish printed on a coffee mug. And I thought, oh God. So, you know, for a couple of years, you know, every morning I have a bloody coffee with Pete. You know, just looking at him, laughing about, you know, he's pretty funny for an old turd. And then um That's a bit of an alpha move, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, he right. Alpha so, the shit out of you, right? So I I never actually told him this, but one day, um, one of the kids broke it. I've got two young boys and, you know, they're boisterous. We kicked this soccer ball, bang. You know, we landed in the kitchen, smashed this mug. Turned out it was uh, Pistol Pete. Anyway, and I was like, Ugh. you know, I sort of relieved that, that, you know, that bonefish wasn't staring at me every day. Mm. Yeah. And guess what? The other day, once again, out of the blue, I get this. Um, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> this letter. 
I mean, what is this? It feels funny. You know, you, sometimes you feel a letter, feel what's inside. Mm. Anyway, it feels tiny. It's like a square. Open it up and it's, um, and it's this, uh, it's a fridge magnet and it's the same photo. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a handwritten note saying, hey, Valti, keep in touch with yourself. Love you. <laughs> <laughs> That's I'll gold. I put it on the fridge and, um, you know, my wife said, who's this prick? You know, I tell her the story. She loves it. Yeah, uh-huh. so. Yeah, that's awesome. There you go. Well played, Pete. I don't know if you listen to this or not, but guess what, mate? I'm coming for you. It's coming back. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, just before we get on to the episode, before we move on to talking to um, Keith, um, yeah. I want to encourage listeners to, to to stay tuned for the outro. Um, there's some there's some pretty controversial stuff that we want to want to talk about. It's a little bit uh, a little bit serious, I guess, but um, a little bit just, dark. But it needs yeah, to be it's not. Well, it's not dark. It just needs to be said. You know, like it's. Um, and um, yeah, we'll, we'll bring it up in the outro. We won't, we'll save it for that. But just want to let you know to don't end it after Keith's interview. Hope you liked the interview. Um, mm. We should we, we should just get him on the phone and just get that done. What do you say? Yeah, yeah let's get him on. Right here. Okay, welcome back, listeners, to another exciting episode of the Intermediate Line podcast and tonight we've got someone who i've really looked forward to um having a chat with at, at some point i dearly hope that one day i get to meet him face to face and have a fish with him uh he's none other than um uh the managing partner of alphonse fishing co in the seychelles all-round nice guy great filmmaker keith rose Innes. welcome to the show mate oh, thanks guys nice to uh, meet you obviously it's uh, we b- would be better in person on the flat somewhere, but hey, we'll start with this. <laughs> that sounds like an invite to me, Keith. See you in a week. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, Keith, yeah, no, I want to uh, echo uh, Valti's sentiment there, and thanks for coming on the show. Um, it's great that you can make the time. Let's um, let's start right at the beginning. Um, let's find out where you are and um, and how did you start fly fishing. Well, I'm in South Africa at the moment. It's um, it's our down down season from uh, um, Seychelles. Um, mm-hmm. we, we, run, we run for eight months of the year. And generally this time of year, we sort of rest all the, all the different flats, uh, all the different atolls. Um, it's the southeast monsoon now, so the southeast winds blow quite hard. Um, it's not that the fishing's in, any worse than it is in the, the calmer season. It's actually better, but uh, we, we choose to rest the flats this time of year. So everyone gets to go home. To the families, all the guides, and 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 take five, or all go and guide somewhere else before the next season. Hmm. Um, yeah, in, I'm in South Africa now, so I'm with my family, um, yeah, taking some downtime. But we, uh, um, yeah, I've I've been fly fishing for my whole life. My grandfather was quite well known in the fly fishing game. You know, he grew up in Scotland, fly fishing, salmon fishing, tying his own flies on on and leaders with horse hair. So going back many years, he moved out to Rhodesia. Um, and then uh, um, my my father met my mother in Rhodesia, and uh, they both came back to South Africa. And ever since we've been we've been in South Africa. So um, I then moved over to the Seychelles, working in the Seychelles many years ago, um, in, in um, about twenty five years ago, and uh, I've been there um, ever since. Um, running, uh, we started Alphonse Fishing Company in two thousand and twelve. And before that, um, we had a business called uh, Fly Castaway, which we did all the pioneering uh, of the atolls. Uh, actually, we did all the pioneering of the atolls before Fly Castaway. 
so I've been out there for a long time. Uh, yeah, was a part of fishing a lot of the, the a lot of the atolls for the first time. So I got to experience a lot of the places um, with a fly rod. And um, sometimes, you know, before other people had fly fished, well, I, I would think anyway. Mm. Um, but also, you know, with 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 uh, fellow guides and stuff. So it's been it's been a great journey so far, and uh, I'm still in the Seychelles, and uh, um, I'll be there for many years to come. So yeah, um, other than other than saltwater fly fishing, you know, um, I enjoy all, all kinds of fly fishing. Um, I worked in Russia for a period of time um, as head guide on the Panoy, an amazing river. Um, and then I also obviously guided all the way through Africa. Um, 25 years of, 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 sorry, 17 years of guiding full-time back-to-back seasons. And then I sort of hung up my uh, guiding boots for for most of the year um, in, in the sense that having to uh, um, focus on building Alphonse Fishing Company and and the uh, um, leisure um, ecotourism uh, arm of it called Blue Safari. Mm. Yeah, it's been a long journey, but, but a great one. So so from what I'm hearing at the moment, so you're spending what, what half, half of your year in, in South Africa and half in the Seychelles, yeah, at the moment? So Yeah, about that. So yep. I spend half the year in the Seychelles and I travel uh, internationally quite a bit as well and then the rest mm-hmm. of the time I've spent in, in South Africa. So it's um, 25 years living out of a bag mostly, but it's been, uh, yeah. yeah, exciting. In the Seychelles, are you in bricks and mortar or are you, are you staying on, on a vessel? For six months? Uh, it depends. So I, I move between the different destinations. We've obviously got seven destinations in the Seychelles um, okay. from um, lodges which have uh, are exclusive to four people all the way up to sort of 80 people um, um, resort type uh, lodges. But, you know, the beauty about all these all these destinations is that we're the only operator on those on those atolls, uh, on, the, on the specific atolls. So it's, it, it really is great. And, and you know, they they have had a pause in time. So, you know, you going out there is still the way, exactly the way they were two or three or 400 years ago. So, you know, it really is, really is an amazing place. Yeah. Yeah. Keith, I'd, we're going to, we're going to circle back around on the Seychelles in, in great depth later on. But, um, you know, I, I noticed recently on your, on your Instagram post, um, you've, you've got a, you've got a young family, right. And you've got a, you've got a son who's starting, starting to get into fly. Is that, um, has that been a good journey, mate? Yeah, I mean, as you know, I mean, it's 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 not so easy to teach your son to uh, um, to cast or to fish because you know they'd rather listen to a guide than you. Yeah. So uh, uh, you know, once you get over that hurdle, it, it, you know, it really is special time in the water. And you know, we, he's at the age now; he's eleven, so you can you can almost just point the fish out to him if he hasn't seen it already, and he'll go and do do the deal. Um, yeah. He'll just holler and call you to help him land it or whatever, or take the photograph. But uh, yeah, you know, it's for me. You know, I don't fish as much as people would think out in the Seychelles. Um, I generally enjoy going out, but I generally just take photographs and and ride on the boat with other anglers or or guide or take my son. You know, the thing is that you know it, it's so much nicer. You know, when you've caught so many fish in the Seychelles, that you see it uh, through other people's eyes and and see them enjoy the flats, and you know, I get more. I get more enjoyment out of that, and plus, you know, seeing seeing everyone in the flats enjoying themselves and knowing that you know you through these these these, these clients or people that are coming out to fish, you you're protecting these de- these destinations. Sure, sure. Look, that looks really special. I'm sort of um, you know, I've got a kid, I've got a boy, or two boys. My eldest is ten. Um, he, you know, he can cast a uh, a conventional rod yet. I haven't tried him on fly, but you know, uh, I can't think of a more you know, memory rich or experience rich 
you know, upbringing than, than living, um, you know, at least part of the year out there or, or you know, having those sort of adventures. It, you know, it would be such a great upbringing for a kid. Yeah, I think in the in the modern world, you know, a lot of kids get stuck on TV games and and, and all those kind of things. And you know, you know, it's it's so nice to go to an, to an island or a destination where you don't have that. So you've got you got, you got a few options. You know, the one option is go snorkeling, go diving, or go fly fishing, and or just like you know, enjoy the beach and swim and whatever. So it 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 kind of it 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 focus it focuses the children, you know, and and and. Once they're out there and they're enjoying it, you know, it really the, the bug really does bite. Mm. Yeah, Keith, uh, we were talking a little bit before we started recording in regards to the um, just to bring it back to South Africa a little bit. The the fly culture in South Africa, it seems to be a pretty um pretty vibrant scene for uh, for it. I mean, it's an arguably small country. Africa is a large continent, but South Africa in itself is a, is a small part of it. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, Seychelles, I mean, it's got a, a really, really strong culture in fly fishing. It is. It has become smaller over the years, but, you know, the, the beauty about South Africa is it's very close to Africa. So Africa has great, great fishing, you know, Mozambique and all the way through. You've got all the uh, majestic rivers up in Tanzania and you've got the Zambezi and you've got, you know, the, the West Coast where you've got tarpon and, and all these wonderful species. So it is close to to fishing, you know, saltwater fishing and, and freshwater fishing. Um, from a fishing point of view, you know, it, it's, you know, freshwater-wise, you know, we have got a lot of endemic species, you know, yellowfish and so forth. Um, we've obviously had some, we've got some fish that were stocked to the, into the rivers like like trout. And on, on, the, on the coast, in the coastal areas, we've got a lot of uh, you know, species you can catch on fly. It's generally, you know, it's not a, it's not a, uh, um, South Africa isn't a destination where it's going to draw international guests to come and fish in the salt water, you know, generally we have a big surf, as you know, from all the surfing movies and so forth, that, uh, you know, that surrounds South Africa. It only starts petering out when you hit Mozambique on the one side and you hit Namibia on the, on the top end of Namibia on the other side. So, um, yeah, we do have a lot of swell. So from a fly fishing point of view, you know, swell is not always easy. But, you know, a lot of the estuaries are still quite quite healthy. Um, there's, there's some difficult species like spotted grunt and so forth that you can catch in the, in the estuaries. But yeah, I would say most of the diehard fly fishermen, the guys that have been doing it for a long time, they they they, they dream about fishing out of South Africa. You know, it's um, fishing up in Africa and the Indian Ocean Islands and so forth. Yeah, yeah. And Keith, um, as an outsider, as as an Aussie looking in, I, I'm just um, I, I can't help but look at that with admiration at, at what the South African fly fishing um, community <laughs> has has sort of achieved. There's so many great great anglers and, and filmmakers um they, they have come out of there fly designers um you know I, i'm thinking you know right off the top of my head you know i'm um, yourself yako lucas um uh you know arno um you know that arno was around you know right at the start like yourself obviously um there's a there's an online magazine which is excellent the miss the mission by conrad boats and his crew um it's a it's an amazing culture that's produced so many, um, I'd say, notable fly fly fishermen. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I think you know the South African culture. Well, the South Africans, in a sense, are, are are people that are willing to operate out of the comfort zone, in a sense. So you know they're willing to apply their minds to solve the solutions and situations. So you know they 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 they've been involved in in difficult situations and or figuring out difficult situations up in Africa. You know they've. They're keen to explore. Um, so, 
I think I think that kind of culture uh, filters through into the fly fishing. You know, we, we, South Africans, in a sense of, in the old days, had to stand alone and by themselves, so they had to figure things out. Um, and we've always come through trying times. So, you know, for us, as we were speaking about earlier, currently we 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 have three rolling blackouts a day, and mm-hmm. you don't really see many people complaining about it. It's just get on with your life and deal with it. So, situations like you know when you when you're exploring and stuff, you know, it, it helps with situations like that when you're exploring. So, you know, you don't sweat the small things and you just focus on on the end goal. So, I think you know, South Africans are very good in 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 uh, um, in, in in guiding people, you know, in a sense, we, there's a lot of a lot of uh, South Africans um, come from the safari background, so they've all, you know, got uh, personal hunting or, or you know, uh, guiding experience, and 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 that also rolls over into, into fly fishing. So you get a lot of really good fly fishermen or fly fishermen fly fishing guides. Um, there, there is there is you know an area which is is obviously both good and bad in the sense that you know there's not much opportunity for young South Africans in South Africa, you know, things have become a little bit more difficult. So it does drive, you know, uh, um, uh, young South Africans out of the country. There's a lot of young South Africans leaving the country looking for alternative, uh, you know, work. Um, And uh, for us in the socials, it's been a positive because, you know, you get a lot of young South Africans willing to travel, willing to work, you know, for long periods of time out in in difficult situations or, or, or you know, on islands where you, you can't be with your family and so forth. So it, 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 it's, it's both a positive and a negative in, in a sense, I would say. So, I mean, like Yaku, he's living in the States. You know, he, you know, he decided, you know, he was going to get into fly fishing. He was going to become a guide. He was going to make movies. And his end objection was to, would be, was to move over to the USA with his, his wife. And he's done that. And hats off to him. So there's a lot of, a lot of guys that are following, you know, in, in Yaku's footsteps and, and have the objective of, Making a life in alternative uh, alternative countries, um, so it, it does open up opportunities for for uh, us to employ really good people in the guiding fraternity. Mm. Yeah, when, when we had Yako on, he was he was talking about um, how uh, practical he was in his approach to his goal. Um, he was talking about when other guides were were partying. Uh, well, I should, well, he was saying guides. Wasn't there, so I don't know. But uh, it, it, while he was doing that, he was editing videos. He was talking to people overseas and, and lining up bits and pieces in, during different time zones where you know it was day, it was it was business hours for someone else. It was party time for for where he was, you know. So he's yeah, it seems like a quite a, a motivated dude. Yeah, just to follow on what you said there. But one of the things I've noticed in regards to um uh what's what's quite almost uh, signature South African, I suppose, is is the how pragmatic um South African fly fishermen are. You know, when you take fly design, for example, and move it to the areas that uh, that, that you're spending most of your time or well, half the year at, as we mentioned earlier in the Seychelles, flies like um, Alflexo crab or brush flies or Milky Dream or uh, how do you, how, I don't know how you guys pronounce this, but NIAP or NYAP, is that, how do you say that? Is that how you say it? Yeah. NYAP? NYAP? N-Y-A-P, not your average popper. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, just, it's a subject d- of a design by, Yeah, designed by, by James Christmas and named by... Um, I'll tell you now who it was named by. I'll, I'll remember it, but yeah, named by Wayne Haslow. Wow, they really missed something there because you turn that turn that fly on its on its uh, base on the eye of the hook. It looks like a Christmas tree. And if it's designed by James Christmas, <laughs> there was an opportunity going missing there. <laughs> Could have called it the Jingle Bells Popper, or you know. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, it still works. It still works. It's uh, um, you know, a lot of people. It's a go-to fly. I mean, I think some some people have. I think it's been named like a uh, or and. 
like it's been like a slight name change, like a crease fly, or you know, obviously like all flies, you know, they they evolve. So I, I'm not sure if 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 you know the, the art of inventing flies is is you know completely is, is is relevant anymore because you know generally most flies or sort of the baseline of the fly has already been done. So it's just basically just editing, you know, tying steps or adding a little bit to a fly or, you know, changing the color or changing the weight or the eye size or the, or the material and so forth that's leading in, in, in the fly fishing industry at the moment. Yeah, no, that's that's right. I mean, you I guess you would, you mentioned there that the crease fly might have came after. I, I, I think, I, I don't know, I'd look like, it seemed to me like it came before, but but like you said, there's so many variations of, um, of what's been done before. I mean, how many flies are based off a, a clouser, for example, or a deceiver? It's a, it's amazing, yeah. but um, uh, yeah, you know, the, yeah. The, 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 the crease fly is tied in a different way. I mean, absolutely. You yeah. know, it's obviously it's wrapped over. Yeah. Where's the where's the uh, um, nap is tied with a you know a Solid wedge? A, yeah, like, yeah, a block. Yeah, yeah, very simple and easy to tie. Um, yeah. But funny enough, I, I don't fish either of them. So uh, um, I, oh, yeah. I was. I've always stuck with, uh, you know, from the beginning, the barrel head popper, um, yep. and I've never changed. So I mean, why change what, what's not what's working? So I suppose. <laughs> well, it seems to me like like how bringing up the subject of these flies that like that pragmatic approach of like you know, just being very practical in in fly design for making it work, and and also um, uh, what's a, what's a correct way to put this? Like a an expedition fly, like something that makes something out of something such a simple and and easy quick thing to do at night in the afternoon or something like that um but but ultra effective you know like what comes of it is amazing like i said our, our flexo crab as well that's um, a, a good example brush flies another great example right there um do you fish them do you fish the brush flies uh, yeah i do fish the brush flies i always have i mean I, i've actually very seldom stray from a brush fly when i'm fishing for a giant trevally you know the only time i'll I will will be when I fish a clouds or or a, or a, um, a popper of, of of sorts, um, yeah. But I mean, you know, I suppose the most important thing is is to have belief in the fly that you're fishing. So you know, mm. you can have the best looking fly, or or you know, and everyone's telling you that it's the right fly. But if you have no belief in the fly, don't put it on. Mm. So you know, and, and more importantly, make sure the guide believes as well. So <laughs> yeah, I think that's the most important thing. If you believe in the fly, you know, you'll catch you'll catch anything on it. For instance, uh, um. About five months ago, you know, we had uh, Yvonne Ch Chenard from uh, Patagonia come to, to Alphonse and uh, he rocked up with one rod, which he's probably had, it was a sage and a, and a T-ball, which he's probably had for like 20 years um, with an old floating line on it. And, and, uh, um, and he, he, he fished a hare's ear on the flats for bonefish, a nymph. And that's what he believed was the right fly. And he caught, you know, he he arrived and he said, well, his, his previous record was was uh, 18 bonefish in one day or 16 bonefish in one day in Bahamas. So I said, well, you'll definitely beat that today. And uh, he came off the flats the first day. He said, oh, I beat it. I got 19 bonefish. So um, <laughs> on his, yeah. So, so you know, it all, it's all about what you believe in. And um, yeah, that's case in point. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and, then he, and then he went out the next... The next day, he said, "Oh well, um, you know, he originally wanted to just come and and, and uh, fish for bonefish, and then then he saw the other species. The next day, he said, well, I, I wou.' mind catching a permit.' And I was like, "Oh my goodness, okay, this is going to be a, a challenge.' So we 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 uh, we sent him out and with Al Flexo, and and he came back with some amazing photographs of a big permit the next day. So <laughs> it's all about belief. If you believe you can catch him, you can catch him. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, clearly, confidence is everything with 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 fly fishing. It makes your fish slower, more deliberate, more attentive. Hundred um, percent. You mentioned the Alflexo crab there, and I won't bang on about flies too much, but I'm guessing uh, fishing around Alphonse and and Alflexo, you know, like you, you know, you're probably around through the uh, um, development of this fly. Yeah, so I'll tell you exactly how the fly evolved. Yep. Um, it was, you know, um, oh, I can't get the exact dates, but it was probably like six years ago. Um, once again, um, you know, obviously in, in the early days, you get a lot of flies that come through, you know, the destinations like um, the Flexo version, which was called, I think it was the Orvis Crab, which was had a massive sort of Flexo body yeah, and had rubber legs with, yep. with uh, sort of feather, feather um, claws. Yeah, we were just um, talking about that before the show, actually. We were going to bring that up, but um, glad you did. Yeah. Yeah, no, so, so the, the, the idea of using the flexor material has been away, around for, I mean, 20, 25 years, I would think. I mean, I have a long time. I mean, it's been used all over the place. Mm-hmm. So, you know, obviously, it's just, I mean, as I, as I mentioned earlier, you know, flies evolve. And um, we were, the way it happened was we were on, uh, fishing, I was fishing with James Christmas. Obviously, you know about him and his, his incredible tying abilities. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had taken a, a white um, flexo body, and but it was it was a massive body and put uh, cactus chenille legs and white cactus chenille legs in. And he'd also done it in tan, but it was a massive fly with massive ca- cactus chenille legs. And we were, and he was u- using it f- to fish for for tri- started using it to fish for trigger fish on the pancake flats on the turtle grass because you know it's a big body one sink into the into the the grass and you know it, you know the, the trigger fish especially on a neap you know would love it you know it'd come brush up and up and chomp on it and, and you would catch catch the, the the trigger fish so you know obviously after that experience i saw the way the triggers were were, were fishing and I'd, I'd always been puzzling about you know there has to be a crab fly that the indipacific permit love so um, I had a, a trip lined up with uh, some good some good uh, mates of mine that we were going to – well, they were going to Poav. I wasn't going to make the trip. But my job was to make sure they had the right flies, and it was a, it was a permanent expedition to Poav. And, you know, uh, uh, Ilya Shevich was on it, and a lot of, a lot of really good people. That, he's the owner of Panoy River in Russia. And, you know, so it was, it was a mission, and I had my top guards going out. It was a mission to catch, catch as many permanent in a week as possible. And so I asked James to tie me, you know, uh, a couple dozen of of that fly, but in a different way. I asked him to reduce the size of the of the body and put a different uh, leg in, and and I was going to put the put them in the box. So what I did is I I kept like six of them for myself, and I put all the rest in their boxes. They're like three or four per angler, and off they went. And I said, guys, you've got to try this fly. So they, so we, we we were getting a little bit more su- successful with catching them on on a on a, a, a Merkin style fly, but still you know it, the, the results weren't great. Mm. Anyway, you know one of the guards tied it on for like five minutes, had a couple casts at a permit, nothing ate, took it off, and they they they, they left it, forgot about it. So I was like, no, nah, this isn't right. So anyway, so the the, the following October, um, I had an opportunity to go on the flats. It was early season. And I, I, I took the flies, put them in my pocket, went on to the flats. First cast, I caught a, a permit with, with the fly. Um, it was the, the first permit I saw, I caught him. And then it was the end of the day. And the next, next day, um, similar time, I went this, onto a similar flat in the area. I made one more cast and caught another permit. So um, went back to the lodge. I was only fishing one day. Went back to the lodge and said to the guys, guys, this, this, there's definitely some room for development on this fly. Um, it's the right fly. So I, I had... I had four more left. 
I gave uh, one to a guy who it was his birthday. He went out and caught a permit and broke off on a permit. And I gave it to another guy who went out and, and caught a permit. So, so you know, it was, it, was, it was all action. You know, I obviously gave the rest to the guys, and I said, guys, let's start tying and, and figuring this all out. So, and, and from there, the, the, the fly started evolving at, at a massive rate. You know, it's reduced. It changes every year. The colors change. The size of the, the, way, the, size of the fly changes. Um, the colors change all the time. You know, the way we, we sort of uh, um, kill the fly has changed a lot, you know, so the way it swims. And, but most importantly, it's the way we fish it. So, you know, that's also changed. So you're actually fishing it with a, you, you're fishing with it with quite a solid you know, strip kind of thing where, where you, you, you're making that, that fish almost chase, chase the fly. So okay. it's uh, yeah, it's it's evolved in a, in, a, in a big way, and it's uh, um, you know we have micro uh, alflexos and so forth. It looks nothing like the original. You know, the only thing that's the same as the original is the actual material of the body. Otherwise, you know, it's it's micro chenille legs, and and the way it's tied is completely different. It doesn't, you know, it's a completely different fly in a sense. It's uh, I mean, for to, it sounds an interesting concept, and and uh, sorry. Um, uh, an interesting it's a very interesting story to hear how this fly came about for you guys you know like it's uh again it takes me back to the pragmatic approach that you guys uh, are so 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 good at but um you know like once that fly developed some success you know it became a it became a real lesson in uh, in tying technique as well like to make that fly land hook point up you know it's one of those flies that when if you know like i've noticed and correct me if i'm wrong but you know if you don't sit the legs in at the right place the, the drag of the materials through the water will take precedence over the weight that you use to flip the hook point up. Um, but it sounds like you guys sort of nailed that right from the start, right? Is that, um, was there any sort of learning curve like that with it at all? I mean, it sounds like it banged fish straight away. Yeah, it, it, there are a few things is that, uh, um, you know, obviously it's, it's about durability and making sure there's, um, those legs stay in place, but also, you know, the way, the way you fish it, you know, uh, um, you know, depends on how you tie it. So, you know, it's fine to tie a fly with long legs and, and it doesn't matter where you place the legs. If you're just going to cast the fly and sort of let it sink and sort of slowly move it away. But when you're going to strip it out, you need to make sure the legs are the right, right length and it's killed correctly and, and the, the fly swims, swims correctly. So, mm. um, yeah, it, 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 it's taken a lot of trial, trial and error. Um, mm. But saying that, you know, the original form of the fly, you know, with long legs and big body and casted the fish, they still ate, ate it. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's debatable. You know, it, it all boils down to, once again, what you feel um, confident with. And a lot, a lot of the guides will, will tie the fly different to the other guides, but they're all catching fish. So, yeah. 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 But obviously yeah. the weight does, does play a big role. You know, depth of water, weight, speed of the current, um, color, according to bottom, the way you fish to the to a fish, if you get a reaction, how you change, which fly you change to, or color of alflexa you change to. So there's a couple of tricks. It's not, it's not as simple as just buying a whole handful of alflexas and walking out in the flats and and heaving on the uh, in the Pacific permit. It, it's mm. not going to happen. It, it, it there is there is technique and skill, um, and and a sense of you know not a sense, but um, you know, a way you can guide someone into really catching a fish when the journey wouldn't catch it on their own. Yeah. No, I understand. I, it's um, do you guys get uh, uh, annex as well as block eyes over there? No, we don't. We only we only get the uh, Indo Pacific permit. Gotcha. Yep. No, no which, the, which was the blotchy. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. Gotcha. 
No, I understand. Um, I just noticed that that both those those two fish have got a different technique. Get that crab fly gets both. You know, it's, um, so it's uh, it's interesting here. So, and that's what I was leaning out when you're talking about the weight keel and stuff, and like where you put the legs. Um, it seems to be the drag of the materials, like the placement of the materials, takes more preference. So then. Than just simply putting weight on it but um no it's interesting to hear your views on that keith i i think a lot of people will be interested in that um that that history lesson as to where that flies come from because um that's straight from the horse's mouth that's great but yeah the other thing you know one the one important thing to remember with permit is that if you're feeling a bump and there's nothing afterwards you've missed him so uh, uh, permit obviously inhales the fly you know they, they've got a very very strong sort of um, uh, sort of rib area where they inhale and they exhale quite quickly and they obviously have the crushes at the back of the throat. So for many years, you know, we would often, you know, fishing different flies, you'd just get a bump and you, th and you were fishing quite slowly. So you would think, oh, geez, like, okay, he just bumped and he didn't get it in his mouth. But meanwhile, it's been in and out. So so what the, the, by increasing the strip speed, you know, you stay, you've got to stay in contact with the fly. So in between strips, you've got to get the hand back as quick as possible so that you try and keeping that fly moving at a constant speed. And then you... That's how you feel as if he's eaten it. And then once you feel any pressure, you've got to drive that hook home because he's obviously got quite a bit of, you know, sort of uh, tough areas inside the mouth. And, you know, it's a big fly, so it's got to sit somewhere. So you, you strike him quite hard and make sure you, you know you get that get that hook nice and seated. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Great advice, mate. Yeah. And again, uh, to get that advice from someone like yourself is, is stuck a lot of permit and seen a lot of permits stuck. I think that's... um. Everyone should be paying attention to that one. That's for sure. Yeah. Hey, Keith. Um, I'm going to take a, a slight journey away from uh, away from the Seychelles temporarily. We'll come back to it. Um, you mentioned earlier that you've uh, that you've done extensive time on on the Panoi River in in Russia, and you, you dropped some um, juicy hints about other places in Africa. And um, I really want to chat to you about expedition fishing and. You know, we, we talked about how South Africans have, a, have this great sort of pioneering attitude. They're not easily put off by things. They're dauntless. They, um, you know, they overcome barriers really easily. But, you know, some of the places where um, they've established, well, South Africans have established guiding operations and, and got new exotic species, you know, particularly in, in Africa and, um, you know, particularly some of these countries that, you know, probably have a little bit of political unrest at times. It's absolutely amazing to Australians, you know, like... Um, Thinking like the um, Goliath tigerfish in um, in uh, Congo and um, Central African Republic, have you done much of that sort of stuff? I haven't been out, been out to see. Oh no, I haven't. Um, I obviously know quite a few people that have, have been out, and then you know, obviously Ed Gowie is out there um, um, running a lodge out there, and they obviously doing they're doing quite they're doing quite well out there. You know, catching the catching the odd Goliath. It's on my bucket list. I'd love to catch love to catch a Goliath uh, sometime. But yeah, uh, yeah, you know, I, I've, I've obviously you know been fortunate enough to fish up in 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 places like Tanzania in the early days, you know, before any of the lodges were built, and uh, you know, there, there's there's obviously, as I said earlier, you know, um, South Africans aren't aren't scared of certain scenarios. They they, they won't shy away from challenges. Um, it is fairly easy nowadays. You know, in the, in the older days, you know, we didn't have Google Earth. So you couldn't, or, or Apple uh, Maps or whatever it is, you, you couldn't really scroll in on, on the areas and see, you know, the lie of the river or, you know, see the, the atolls uh, and sort of drop-offs and so forth. You know, we had to rely on, on information, which was often outdated, you know, like the first time we ever went to Cosmolito, we, we bought charts um, in Mahe 
shots that were completely outdated uh, that showed three different entrances into in, into Cosmolito and depths of of you know 10 meters in areas which are now like one meter so we did put the 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 schooner sideways twice um when the water dried out and when the spring tides so you know there were, there were a lot of a lot of incidents which you know just sheer lack of knowledge you know you're just feeling your way through yeah. um, i know through africa i fished you know i won't say hundreds but but many rivers where you know we had no idea what they looked like we didn't know which way they were flowing we the only way you could see you know what they looked like to to a minor you know in a minor sense would be like you know from a map or a chart but you don't know if the river's braided you don't know if it's completely overgrown you don't know if there's hippos in the pool you know i, I still remember you know after being looking for the next uh target fish des nest best target fish destination after Manera, we ended up on a river where we we were charged by hippos for a constant hour you know to the extent oh. where you know you know running away from your boat on little islands and trying to you know where the ph is shouting at the hippo and, and and just about to shoot the hippo and then you know deciding we're putting the plug on this expedition and on the way back having a massive crocodile come out and hit the side of the boat uh, yeah. you know just like like crazy stuff you know and there was no way to find out the depth of the river and or what was in that river you know it's a matter of organizing the expedition packing a, a land cruiser driving for three or four days to get there with the boat on the on the roof putting the boat in the water and when you get there you realize shit this river is 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 extremely shallow and in every single deep area there's 10 hippos inside it so yeah there was is obviously so you know obviously those are in my younger days and uh, my wife's actually sitting behind me listening in on this and she probably shaking her heads and saying she's <laughs> like it i hope you don't do that now but uh, <laughs> yeah it's uh, um, uh, it, it, yeah it's been a journey i mean I, and and obviously you know it, it's a lot easier now but still i mean there's still there's still a lot of places in africa that people can go and adventure out and that would probably would never have been fished this is the great thing about living in south africa yeah do you um i know your wife's sitting behind you but you got any uh got any stories where you thought your uh, time card had been punched like um well on that on that day yeah um well i've also swum a few times in the seychelles uh, yeah. when the, the captain the captain had turned the ra his radio off and uh obviously you know the, the the tides fly in at places certain atolls and you know to the extent that once it comes over the apex from the, the ocean side and it meets the water coming from the lagoon side it's it's a matter of you know you you basically it's just filling up like a like you know, like pouring water into a kettle um so <laughs> i've swum a few times and uh um I dehydrated a few times so you know obviously you start seeing um hallucinating in a, in, in a way so um you know it's been a few interesting interesting times while while exploring but um yeah thankfully i've made it out of them eh? <laughs> <laughs> that's wild there's got it there's, yeah there's got to be more i reckon you got more to tell if your wife wasn't sitting behind you but we'll let you off <laughs> no look i mean you know it, it's some situations you know you, you would think that, that that you you they appear worse than they are for instance in the seychelles you know it, it's a wild environment so you're seeing sharks all the time uh, mm. all the time you know the sharks are coming into the shallows because they're eating raised turtles and fish um you know the water is crystal clear um you know if that shark was going to eat you you weren't going to you're not going to see him so you know is mm. shark encounters uh, every day when you're guiding you know it's, especially in the, the more outer at, at like cosmolito and stove and farquhar and those places 
Um, and it's just how you deal with them, you know. It's and it's also strange in the sense that you know, my first question to an angler would be, "Are you scared of sharks?" Because if if the angler's scared of sharks, that every single shark's going to come to him first or him or her first. Mm. So it's uh, uh, yeah, it, it, you know, a lot of experiences. You know, um, barracuda eating bonefish out of your hands. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, um, yeah, many. You know, thankfully, never never a bad experience on the flats touch wood with any any client. No client of mine has ever ever been uh, you know injured in a sense you know that 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 uh, severely injured you know um, maybe a couple of nicks and cuts but other than that yeah it's been a it's been a it's been a good one and a fortunate one. Mm. Yeah, Keith. Um, <clears throat> I guess you've been pretty lucky in terms of what what could have gone wrong, but you know uh, you've been able to mitigate that and survive, and that's that's fantastic. Um, what about some of the more um, say um freshwater i say freshwater locations this is a bad thing but some of the like the more tamer ones like up in um uh, russia and uh in norway for atlantic salmon i mean it seems like a big change in pace from the excitement and adrenaline of the the seychelles or or maybe the the more tropical freshwater to to um atlantic salmon what's the attraction there yeah look it's, it's obviously very different but you know, i was fortunate enough as i mentioned earlier to to guide on the Panoi for four years, so so the spay casting element of, of of fishing those kind of rivers is bit, and I really enjoy you know spay casting and 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 you know something different, something really different to saltwater. You know the thing is that I work in a saltwater environment, so you know generally changing it up and fishing a freshwater environment is something which which I'm drawn to. Uh, you know I was obviously fortunate fortunate enough to recently fish the Alta River, which has been a lifetime dream. I've been dreaming about it for 20 years, 25 years, you know, working on the Panoi and hearing about the guys that, that go to uh, the Alta every year and catching fish up to 50 pounds has is, is always been you know, an experience that I, I really, really wanted to have. And fortunate enough, the, the, actually, I've been invited three times and it was three years in a row and it was, the, my first year was the first year of COVID, so it never happened. My second year was the second year of COVID, which never happened. And uh, thankfully enough, my third invite was, was now. So, um, um, I've 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 uh, um, I've been there, and, you know. I've seen it, and I was absolutely blown away by by the Alta. You know that that chance that you uh, that, that chance that you can have a fifty pounder you know, take your fly in any of your swings. You know that that experience and history. Um, you know, riding around in those those wooden boats, and you know um, having the two boatmen who've spent many many years in those rivers you know, explaining to you. You know. Hold on tight. We're going through this river. This is this, the name of this pool, and you've heard the pool about the pool many, many, many times before from anglers that have fished, or you've guided on 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 the Panoi. So it's a, it was an amazing experience. You know, it's amazing to see that you know this this massive river that flows through a town um, is so pristine and well taken care of, and that they have got um, policies in place and rules in place that's, that are protect that are protecting these salmon. You know, you you can't just get on there. It's 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 dead yep. man's shoes. You you know, it's you, there's a waiting list as long as you know, a couple of meters long. You know, so it's uh, um, yeah, it was it was a true experience, and and, and I'm very grateful for the experience. Now, a friend of mine, Idia uh, Shivavish, invited me out there, and I shared a rod with him. So, um, you know, to experience a river like that with a great friend is 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 amazing. So, um, we've got a lot of lot of listeners who will probably go, "What the fuck are these guys talking about?" So, the the altar altar is up the top of Norway, right? Right up in the um, close to the Arctic yeah. Circle. 
Yeah, it's a northern river, um, yeah. and it's a big fish river. So it's synonymous with the biggest Atlantic salmon in the world. Yeah, um, they're all wild fish. So you know, it's fish which are anadromous. So yeah. they they go out to the sea and they feed and they come into the river and they spawn and then they re, they they return back to the sea as a cult after they've spawned. Um, there is a, a a real small chance that they can uh, um, repeat spawn, um, which they which they do at times. Which on my last trip, I actually caught a repeat spawner, um, uh, one of my thirty pounders that I caught. So it really is an amazing place, and obviously a lot of history. Um, you know, yeah. It, it, it back in the days, it was it was it was owned by royalty. So it's it's come through come through uh, numerous different sort of uh, um, structures to this to uh, um, where it is now, where it's a lottery. You know, the first few weeks of the season, you, you have to enter. You have to pay money and enter as a, as a lottery. And if your lot lottery card is is drawn, you get to fish the Alta River for a day. Um, anyone from around the world, the world can enter, um, and it, it raises funds for the, the, obviously the monitoring of, of the, of the river, river system and so forth. Mm-hmm. And then the, the weeks thereafter, which are four weeks, are all um, held in in uh, um, syndicates. So there's only ten rods that are allowed to fish, and it's for four weeks. So it's only twenty, uh, it's 40, 40 rods for a four-week period. So wow. you know, minimal pressure is put on the on the river, which it, it, it has to be because obviously it's a real amazing you know river with such big fish so yeah getting to experience is is not a is not a common thing i'd imagine it'd be pretty expensive a day's fishing there right yeah well you can't you can't you can't pay for it um yeah. you can't buy right so it's, it's priceless um yeah. it you know it's it's so protected and you know you've just got to be lucky and get an invite or uh, um or win, win the lottery for a day yeah and and what about the um uh, like the Norwegians are famous for their um, for their farm salmon, and you know we're, we're probably all aware of the the danger that poses to you know I guess that's further south mainly, but um, have they got any salmon farms near near the Alta, or do they sort of respect its specialness by by not um, by not you know polluting the the gene pool and such? Well, the issue with Norway is there's, there are big salmon farms, and the issue with salmon is that. It doesn't matter whether it's in your in your um, um, the mouth of your the river which the fish are going to go up, or the estuary which the fish are going to go up, because the the fish follow the contour of the coast. Uh-huh. So they often you know fish would often go up the incorrect river or into the estuary of the wrong river, and then sort of come out and then and they find their way um, up the correct river. So you know it doesn't matter where those fish farms are, then the negativity affecting all the wild salmon around the world. Um, okay. You know, and then obviously those salmon. They go in and out the river. They pick up all those the the, the lice and all the all the disease from the farm fish, um, and then you know then they obviously netted uh, where they're feeding out at sea. So yeah, it's not a, it's not a great picture um, forecast for Atlantic salmon, um, and everybody needs to get involved and, and not buy farm salmon, and obviously try as much as possible to contribute to you know the fighting or preventing of these salmon farms. Yeah, yeah. Look, that's a, that's a really salient message. Pardon the pun um, on on salmon fishing there because um, it is you know so massive in the in the um, in the northern northern um, Atlantic countries. Um, you released a video uh, on YouTube. I just found it totally enchanting. Um, it was a Bhutan. Was it Bhutan? The Marcia there. Yeah, um, I, I was fortunate once again to be invited by Ilya Shevovich to go to go with him to Bhutan. Um, it's a trip which you can't get 
permission to do because it's obviously a, a it's a royal game. So um, you have to get permission from the royal family um, to fish for for um, for Marcia. Um, we managed to get the permission and uh, we flew around fishing various different different rivers and it really was you know amazing in the sense that it's such a sensitive fish that um, you know they they obviously congregated the fresh water at the cleaner water because the rivers were running at the at the stage that we were there it was the summer months so the rivers were quite dirty but they have an incredible ability to sense vibration or smell so if you if you had you put you know your hand in the water um call it 30 or 40 meters upstream from where the fish are as that scent hits them they're gone and they won't come back and if you walking on the river the river bank um 20 or 30 meters away away from them and somehow you uh, dislodge a rock they're gone and they won't come back um it's it's amazing they're very sensitive so yeah, so in a, very difficult. So the key to our experience was being able to fly out and, and fish areas where there weren't people, um, cattle or elephants or whatever whatever game it was. Um, so we managed to we managed to fish in areas which you know were very hard to access, um, you know, big ravines and so forth. So it truly was an amazing experience. Um, Ilya got got a fish over fifty pounds. Um, but the but the, the scariest thing or the, the the alarming thing is that you know obviously Bhutan gets a lot of pressure from China and and, and India and surrounding countries, and they have really amazing rivers with with incredible flow. So there's a there's a hydro system which is going in place where they now sort of boring through the meanders of the river, and putting uh, you know sort of uh, you know uh, hydro electric into into the flow that runs through those 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 meanders. So. Um, I sense that you know if we ever or anybody ever went back to fish the Bhutanian rivers, some of the some of the sections we fished will no longer be because the flow of the river would have changed. So you know it, it you know I've been very fortunate to experience a lot of these places around the world, and, and a lot of them probably will never be the same. So um, so we we kind of need to focus on, on 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 making sure that these places don't change. You know, for instance, there's a guy. In, in Finland, uh, Jasper Pakkanen, you might have heard of him. Yep. He's lobbying really hard for the removal of dams. There's obviously a big push in, in, in the States for everyone's lobbying for the removal of dams and getting those anonymous fish to get uh, come back into the systems because, you know, I know I know it's a, it's a common saying that people say that, you know, we need to protect these destinations for our children and that we, we really do have to. And, you know, we're obviously seeing it now with, with uh, you know, Global uh, global change in, in weather patterns and you know the crazy weather patterns that we're having, uh, mm. massive heat and fire and then massive flood. So, yeah, let's just hope that you know we've got you know our, our generation is able to make a positive impact on 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 the fisheries around the world and save them. I think that's a pretty good message, Keith. And it, it's clear with some of the things you've said in previous in this interview as well as just then that uh, conservation is pretty important here. And I want to come back to it. But I want to take us away to a bit more of a familiar location to you, and um, and really start to break down you know your operations in the in the Seychelles. But I want to, I guess, to want to to the uh, listeners, I want to generalise that a little bit, and and just ask you, you know, what are the lo major locations, and and what is each of them famous for? Yeah. So, um, sorry, can you just give me a second? Sorry, just a sure. bit of noise in the background. I want to ask you to repeat that question, please. Sure. 
my wife's just leaving the office now. She's tired of hearing about my shark stories. <laughs> Good. Now we can hear the crocodile stories, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, mate. What I was what I was leading towards was um, I'd like to come back to the conservation aspect of it um, because I feel like we're going to hear a little bit about that in regards to the Seychelles. But before we get to that, I want to sort of uh, illustrate it a bit more to the listeners. Uh, and I think um, a good place to start off with that would be to, to talk about some of the major locations in the Seychelles and, and what each of them are famous for, because they, they're a little bit diverse, right? Yeah, all the de destinations in the Seychelles are very different. Mm. Um, obviously, the species uh, change or the variety of species are different at each destination. So, you know, we started fishing from the, the islands closest to Mahi and then obviously moved further out as uh, as a time um, uh, passed. Um, so, you know, the closer the closer atolls to Mahi are, have got more, a, a different kind of, you know, um, makeup of the atoll where there's a lot more broken coral and so forth. So, uh, in the Pacific permit really uh, thrive in those areas. So, places like um, St. Joseph's and Poiv, um, African banks, Ramia, um, those kind of atolls are really, really good for, for permit, permit fishing, in the Pacific permit fishing, but the atolls are really, really small. So they can, can be affected of, you know, in a bad way if you put too much pressure on them. So we don't have any lodges at those destinations. We fish them from a, a, a liverboard uh, on, on, uh, on a limited basis, you know, maybe six trips a year or eight trips a year with four anglers. Um, but as soon as you start pushing out towards you know, the next, next atolls, which is Alphonse, um, it's very diverse in the sense that the you know the Alphonse uh, Archipelago or atoll has has three different atolls in it. It has uh, Alphonse Atoll, an island, which is where we have the the lodge and or the hotel. Um, and then it has the joining two atolls adjoining to it. One really small atoll called Bijoutier, and then the the massive atoll called Saint Francois, which has never been inhabited, um, is protected, and Bijoutier. They're both protected. And that's where we fly fish. So every day it's a it's a thirty minute run across in in, in a slow slowish boat um, to the skiffs, which are anchored in Saint Francois, and you fish around Saint Francois and Bijoutier for the day, and then you return back. So it really is, you know, uh, unique in the sense that it's never been inhabited. There is no lodge on it, um, and the species there, you know, it has the healthiest population of bonefish. It has all the species except uh, bumphead. It does have bumphead parrotfish, but those are in deeper water. Um, you, you know, the, generally the, the, the GTs are, are bigger. You know, there's less of them, but they're bigger. Um, incredible permit fishery. You know, in the in the last sort of ten years, the fishery has is um, improved significantly to you know about uh, six or seven years ago we saw a massive increase in in juvenile in the in the Pacific permit and now it's a, it's a really good fishery you know you, you've got a really good chance of catching an in the Pacific permitted Alphonse and obviously we have all the other other, other fish species and uh, but at the top of the list is the milkfish now Alphonse uh, um, catches more milkfish than all the other atolls annually than all the other atolls put together. In the world, I, was, I suspect, you know, um, the makeup of the atoll, you know, allows for large amounts of, of uh, resident, you know, um, milkfish to, to, to live there. And so, so you, know, you know, it really is a destination. If you want to catch a milkfish, that's the place to go. Hmm. Yeah. And then, obviously, we have all the finger flats, uh, you know, which uh, are really, really good for uh, triggerfish. Uh, all three species of triggerfish that we get, uh, that we catch, you know, the small Picassos, the, the weather patterns change. Um, you know, your season becomes shorter. Um, 
and uh, um, you know obviously you you you're getting to areas which are more synonymous with bigger amounts of gts and um, cosmolita which is obviously you know really well known um for its number of gts no there's no at all in the socials that has more gts mm-hmm. um but it also has all the other species you know, it has triggerfish it has bonefish big bonefish it has in a pacific permit it's just that you know people generally focus on the gts when they go there because of of what it's known for um mm-hmm. and then when you start moving more to, you know more a little bit more to the east you have a stove which is a, a four rod destination small little lodge uh, um and it's it's mostly waiting and if you really if you want to catch a you know big gt on foot um on you know waiting and 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 uh, that's the place to go mm-hmm. um but it is very different to to cosmolito um in a sense that it's much smaller it has an enclosed uh, lagoon whereas uh, alphonse uh, no cosmolito has uh, 20 islands whereas a stove is one island which is which has a lagoon surrounded surrounded by by land except for the one little little uh, sort of entrance into the lagoon um so yeah really amazing place then obviously you move more to the east more uh, in, into area called Farqua and Farqua atoll has 10 islands um you know really synonymous with with bumphead parrotfish everything else but also bumphead parrotfish um and that's where we catch most of our bumphead parrotfish um uh, but obviously very well known with blue planet 2 where you get the phenomenon where the giant valley eat the eat the sooty turns um and oh, there's an island good. called Goulet where every sort of august september um there's gts around it and they focusing on eating birds so yeah you know the, you know many people ask me they say keith listen i'm coming to the socials it's going to be my first trip there where's the best destination to go and you know the answer the answer today is always a question it's like well, what do you want to catch what kind of fishing would you like to have what kind of saltwater experience have you had in the past um because you know all the atolls are so different and generally, once a, a guest comes out to the Seychelles, they'll fish one of the destinations. And the next time, they'll, they'll fish another destination, or they'll include it with another destination. The beauty about the Seychelles is that you can fish numerous of the destinations on one trip. So, yeah, it, it really is a diverse destination. You know, you can catch your dream fish both on the flats and offshore. Um, so, yeah, really, really amazing. Mm. Keith, before we get uh, into your operation, I'd be really interested to know how much you know about the history of of the the Seychelles as a group and fly fishing? Yeah, I know quite a bit about the fly fishing history. You know, obviously each atoll has, has different histories. You know, from the past. You know, some of them were inhabited, some of them weren't. Some of them were, you know, commercial fisheries and so forth. Um, from a fly fishing aspect, um, it, it's generally it's a it's a young destination. Um, fly fishing. Generally started around 1990, 1990, 1992, I'd say around there, where there were there were there were a couple of destinations where guys would go and fly fish like St. Joseph's and so forth. Um, you know, from 1995 onwards, there was there was a little a couple more guys that were going out, but generally there were no guides. The guiding only only started around 1999. That's when uh, uh, um, um, 1998, 1999. Um, when, when I was out there and when all the guides were uh, starting to guide out at uh, Alphonse um, and on Tam Tam, which was the boat which used to fish Alphonse before before the, the, the hotel was built in Alphonse. So it's, it's generally, a, it, it, it's a new fishery. Um, when we started guiding out there, there was no how-to books. There was no, uh, um, 
no way to read about how to catch a trigger fish or catch a bumped or catch a, you know, define the way of how to catch a giant trevally and so forth. So those were traits that were that we taught ourselves and tricks we, we, we taught ourselves. You know, a lot of a lot of the sort of uh, figuring out of the right patterns to catch uh, trigger fish was done on, on Alphonse by the guides there. Obviously, milk fish by the guides on Alphonse as well. Um, and also, you know, a lot of refining of the patterns for the GTs as well at Alphonse. Um, but then, obviously, as, as as time evolved, you know, the more difficult species to catch, like bumped, so forth, that was done on on Farquhar and, and Providence. Uh, yeah, so it's it's there was no how to guard, uh, how to do guard. Um, so we we kind of learned, learned the guarding ourselves. It has evolved, you know, and come on along in a massively in the sense that it still is evolving. You know, in the early days, you know, we would guard uh, one guard for three or four anglers. We'd be dropped off in, 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 in a spot, then we would kind of like just walk it out, drag the boat, um, or just walk with the guest. And it's evolved uh, to the sense that about five years ago, we've started polling. And um, mm. the only reason why we started polling was because, you know, obviously you have American guides coming out and saying, why aren't you polling? And, you know, we, our answer was always that, you know, um, well, we, we don't think we can poll here because the currents are too strong. And, you know, when, when you get a... a Experienced uh, keys guard jumps up on the back of the boat and says, "Well, you know, because we had some poles, you know, here's how you do it. You know, you, it starts evolving very quickly, and then obviously having a pole opens up new areas and puts less pressure on the fishery because you're not walking on the flats. You're fishing more areas. You've got a much bigger, you know, um, um, sort of uh, um, much larger amount of spots you can fish. You know, when the tide's in, or you know, when 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 the tide's slack and so forth. So." Yeah, I mean to say that that the the art of guarding the Seychelles has has now been yeah, um, explored at its at its at its, its um, finished sort of stage is not true. It's still we're still learning things. Do people yeah. say that? Have people that? have you heard people say that 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 is, um, it's at its finishing stages? Um, yeah, we do. You know, you obviously often you have a guest that asks you, say, "Hey, listen, you know, obviously you guys know everything about this Seychelles and what's next kind of thing." You say, "But no, we don't. We're learning all the time. You know, every single day on the water, you learn something. Um, you know, we still haven't we still haven't figured out all the species. I mean, there's so many different species to catch. You know, we 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 the one the one species which we haven't deciphered exactly how to catch it, and someone will is is the milkfish. You know, we catch them offshore. We catch a lot of them offshore, and you know, you can almost catch them." cost for cost at times once you've got them in the right feeding uh, sort of zone and you're fishing them in a certain way but you know once they come in the flats they're really difficult you know it's a it's a fish of 2,000 costs you're presenting a you know an algae fly in its feeding zone you know they're, they're very erratic so trying to get him to eat that off the bottom uh, is really difficult so there's still a lot of work to be done cool yeah, That's, yeah well, uh, so you go Maltz. sorry <laughs> I was going to say, let's get into milkies. I mean, oh, yes, yeah, so was I. That's what it was. It was <laughs> it's, uh, it's contrary to our notes, but if you're going to bring it up, Keith, it's uh, it's an ultra-interesting subject for me- anyone who's um, who's dabbled in salt water at all. You know, like, what a, what a fish. What a species, you know? It, uh, and that puzzle that you present there, like, that that just adds to the um, the the appeal to that to those fish. So there's been a bit of um, working that out on the flats, right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, so I mean, obviously the the original the original uh, work was done by by Wayne Haslow and Anna Matia in the early days of Alphonse. Um, 
they they work together you know obviously deciphering you know how to catch these guys and then Anna went out with a client and actually hooked and landed the first uh, um, milkfish on fly um, since then you know not much has changed with the fly the only thing has really changed is that we do weight them and we fish them in different ways when they they're offshore in in, in, in different scenarios. But you know, from from a, a, a fish point of view, I mean, when you see the fish and you see, you know, the shape of the fish and the size of the tail, you realize why they're so powerful. And we're currently doing some some scientific research on uh, on Alphonse, where we're doing a um, a telemetry study, um, where we've uh, um, acoustic telemetry study, where we've got listening stations under the water, and we've we've inserted uh, um, um, trackers in the in in the Stomach cavity of 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 some of the, of some milkfish, yep. uh, to determine whether they're resident or not. Uh, we obviously haven't got that that data back yet. But what we also did is we did a, we did uh, um, some blood studies to to obviously um, find out if the myth about you know the lactic acid buildup of or in milkfish whether it's true or not. You know a lot of people said that the reason why milkfish uh, fight so hard is because they have an ability to dissolve the lactic acid buildup. So they don't have a massive lactic acid buildup because you know we, in, over the years we've had uh, fights with milkfish that would range over three hours, um, and uh, the myth was busted. There's there's uh, um, there's no there's lactic acid buildup in the fish. Um, they do build up lactic acid, so it's it just it's just basically down to that it's a, an amazing and powerful fish. And uh, hopefully in the next sort of six months or eight months we'll 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 get the data back from the listening stations because we have to download them. Um, we actually physically have to dive down, uh, get the listing, listing, listing station and bring it up to the surface and then download the data. So hopefully we'll have the data to find out whether these milkfish are resident or whether they, they're migratory fish. Um, we, we would think that they probably are migratory to a certain extent because there are times of the year that, that are better than others, but we don't really know what the, what the mass is. Are we fishing the same pods of fish? Um, or are there new pods of fish coming through? Um, yeah, so very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, that's um, uh, that's really interesting. It will be will be fascinating to know where, where you know where they are, you know, their migratory and their um, their biology. But you know, we're starting to see some emerging um, milkfish flats fisheries here in Australia, and you know, people are finding fish and they're not sure. Um, well, we haven't heard too many. Um, that are being um, being caught. Like I'm, I'm talking sort of offshore flats or, or coral flats, and it sounds similar to what you guys have got over there. Um, we do have fish occasionally getting caught in worm hatches and, and algae sort of situations. But say you're on an offshore atoll and you and you come across a, a pot of milkfish up on the flats. Um, what what is your first um, first step to to getting hook up? Yeah, so you only need to fish at a floating line. Yep. Um, you know. It, if you can fish as long a leader as possible, because obviously that uh, voids your ability to have drag. Yep. So you'll see, you watch the fish, you know, they'll need to feed in a, in a large pod. So let's say upwards of 20 or 30 fish. Yep. When you really get them in, 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 a, in, the, in, the, in a hot scenario, when they, when what we call them, they, 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 they milkshaking. Where you get a, a, a like a bubble trail on the surface, where you have fish on the surface, um, you have fish underneath them and fish underneath those fish, and they're kind of feeding back and forward, you know, on a line. 
um, generally, if you can if you can position yourself in, a, in an area where you haven't spooked a fish with a boat, where you have a pot of fish going one way and a pot of fish coming the other way, and when they join up, if you can get your fly in the middle of those, you will nine times out of ten get an eat. On the other hand, if you can get them daisy chaining, you yep. put it in the daisy chain, it doesn't matter how deep they are, if you get that fly in there, um, you know, there's, they, they'll eat. You know, obviously, you know, a lot of the time, you know, you're not, you're not fishing them in crystal clear water. There's, there's a current line, so there's, there's a change in color. They're yep. often on the, the dirtier, dirtier side of the color. They're feeding on, 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 on plankton or, or, you know, all sorts of things, whatever, crustaceans or whatever, small, uh, tiny crustaceans, micro crustaceans or whatever it is, or jellyfish, tiny jellyfish, whatever it is. Um, yep. So you're not really seeing that. They're not really seeing when they're eating that kind of stuff. But when they're generally feeding on the bigger stuff, like the, you know, like the algae and stuff, the bigger pieces of algae, and, and there's a, a, a definitive sort of color line, you can see that in the water, then you've got your best chance. Right. And if you yep. can get the fly in there, even, even if you've got a 20-pound, 25-pound leader, it doesn't matter. You know, there's so much muck in, in, uh, in that area that they, they identify the fly and they eat it. Yeah. Um, and nine times out of ten, it, it will be in the mouth. It won't be a fly look. Um, generally, you know, people say, oh, but you fly look in them. You're not. You're not fly looking them. You know, if you fish them correctly, you're not fly looking them in the deep water. You do snag them, you know, in, in the shallow water because the nature of shallow water, you're casting to a fish and he's moving through a, a foot of water and your, your fly is in there and he's obviously, if he's too far over, uh, too far your side, he's obviously going to drag the leader and he's going to drag the fly into himself. But if he's yeah. on the other side, you know, he, he, he will eat it. Um, people, you know, a lot of people say, oh, but you, you snagging them in the mouth. No, you know, you, yes, you do snag them in the mouth sometimes. I'm talking about the shallow water. Yeah. But there's a, there are occasions where you see that fish swim up to the fly and eat it. And funny enough, it happens quite often uh, with, a, with a bonefish fly. Yeah, they swim up and they'll eat, they'll eat the fly. You know, that's obviously when you're walking past you know, a school of, of milkfish and you just make it cost for a hell of it. Next yeah. one, he surprises you and eats it. But offshore, you, you know, you're not, you, you do snag the occasional fish and you can tell straight away when he jumps because you can see where that fly, fly is and often, you know, a snagged fish will come off almost immediately. But, but we're catching them and we're successfully targeting them and catching them regularly. You know, yeah. Sometimes in a day you'll have an angler that will hook eight or nine fish and uh, you know fight all eight and nine for like you know thirty forty minutes and probably land one or two. Wow, wow! Well, it's it's amazing that um, you know they're getting these hookups in such diverse you know manners and different flies. That, you know, um, it shows you can't be too too um, uh, you know you can't have a fixed mindset when it comes to them. You got to be versatile and and see what. Um, See what's happening, and I was fascinated to hear you say that you know they're digging around in that that benthic strata sometimes, looking for uh, for microorganisms. Um, you know, with uh, doing that, you'd sort of assume that there'd be a little bit more forthcoming. But yeah, it sounds like uh, you know you've got to, you've got to keep an open mind and your head on a swivel. Yeah, look, I mean, the, the most important thing to remember with milkfish is that they're more comfortable in numbers. So yeah. if you've got a, a large school of them, they, they feel more comfortable, they're more settled. You can get numerous casts into the fish. And then, then you've got a really good chance. But if you if you're pulling up on schools of, of milkfish, and as the you know the engine comes within you know 100 meters of the, of the fish, they spook you. You generally you're going to need to find another pot of fish. Keith, first of all, I want to apologise for Revolts using the term benthic strata. He um, he tries <laughs> to shoehorn that into every podcast that we have, and 
he's an insecure man, and he feels as though by bringing up big words like that, it makes him uh, bigger, you know, somewhat. Um, so I apologise on behalf of the show with that. Um, Keith, I did want to talk, uh, circle back uh, to something you sort of touched on a little bit there, um, and, and you did, you know, you, you've sort of shown uh, bits and pieces of it through what we just talked about then in regards to researching the milkfish. But uh, protecting these locations is, seems to be pretty important to you, you know, and um, are you actively involved in other forms of conservation around the Seychelles? Yeah, so we, we, don't, we won't get involved in the atoll unless we believe we can make a positive impact. So all the destinations which we, we have, we've got a foundation in place where um, every single person that comes to one of these destinations donates $30, $30 a day per person. Uh, and 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 that that those funds are then donated uh, to the foundation, and through that foundation we uh, work with the Island Conservation Society, and they do all the research and 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 uh, um, the, you know, all the research work and the, the various different projects and the monitoring. And um, we've got ranges in place at each destination, varies according to the size of the destination. For instance, Alphonse, we have three ranges and we have two two scientists at all times uh, and monitoring and telling us how we should behave at these atolls. Um, we we constant, constantly constantly uh, fundraising. Um, we have we have generous guests who donate um, to various different projects. You know, we we obviously have the the the, the, the giant Valley uh, research that is happening now, as well as the milkfish research is happening now, which is uh, um, a joint venture between um, Bonefish and Tarpon uh, in 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 the in the USA, UMass University in the USA, um, the Alphonse Foundation. RCS, which is Island Conservation Society, ourselves, and the RDC, which is the government arm of the uh, um, of the uh, of the outer islands. Um, so yeah, we work together with various organisations. We we fundraise for a lot of different uh, conservation around the world. For instance, we we donate uh, rods to auction um, to fight uh, um, the uh, fish farming, um, salmon uh, salmon fish farming around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, we very much, uh, you know, not only in saltwater, the saltwater side of things, conservation, the saltwater side of things, but we we like to support any sort of conservation venture around the world. But the uniqueness about our conservation is that for many years, you know, it was all the the fly fishermen going to different destinations in the Seychelles, donating this this this, this, this these funds to the to the foundations, and um, we weren't doing much from a marine point of view. Most of it was terrestrial, so. Uh, um, for, for decades, you know, the, all the all the fundraising was going towards terrestrial. So it was the fly fishing that was protecting the the other the other side of the of, of the conservation. So yeah, um, it's been a long journey, and we we built we're building some airspeed now. So the the conservation side of our business is getting bigger all the time. Um, so much so that you know we in 2018 we well before that we decided we in order to reduce the pressure on the flats we need to generate more income. Um, and in order to do so, we needed to um, dabble in the in, in the ecotourism side of things. And in 2018, we formed a, a new business called uh, Blue Safari, which is which is purely activity orientated um, for for non fly fly fishing people. So a lot of our destinations, you can you can come out with a family with a wife, and they can go you know diving, um, snorkeling. They can do beach walks. They can, you know, do nature walks. They can do bird watching. They can uh, um, um, snorkel with with uh, manta rays. Snorkel with sailfish. 
um, and get involved in the conservation work, but also just lie around the pool and, and suck on cocktails. So there's 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 numerous different avenues that we've been trying to get involved in order to limit and be responsible from a fishing point of view and keep these places pristine uh, you know, as they are. Um, and thankfully enough, you know, um, our leisure eco business is twice as big now, twice the amount of people come um, as the fly fishing people. So it's been it's been an amazing sort of venture for us in the sense that you you we've opened ourselves up to to so much more and we we realize that there are so many more people around the world that are passionate about conservation not just the fly fishermen i had no idea that that there was such a um a non-fishing tourism um going on there that's really interesting i mean aside from fishing or ecotourism i should say yeah, I mean, if you, I mean, you're a fly fisherman, you walk on the flats, and and, and, and if your wife isn't isn't fly fishing orientated, you see the turtles all over the place, and you see the, the amazing sharks, and you see the fish uh, tailing on the flats, and you would think that, geez, I mean, uh, I mean, not only this wouldn't only uh, sort of excite uh, fly fishermen, I mean, surely it would inflate, uh, excite other people. And obviously, sure. once you put a put a mask on, you know, the fish, the the, the flats are only pristine as pristine as the surrounding environment. So if the surrounding environment is pristine, the flats are pristine because obviously the surrounding environment feeds the flats. So, you know, what we see on the flats is only a, a, a pinprick of what you see under the water in the surrounding environments. Mm. Oh, I, I, I totally understand. And if there was any way you could um, uh, you know, shape the interest for, for your for your wife, I'm sure the, the trip would be way easier to sell to the family, that's for sure. So it's um, I think you're doing a service for all fly fishermen there, mate. It's great. Yeah, the, the only problem is often we get some of our clients to say to us, "Listen, please don't send me photographs of the amazing accommodation you have. Send me sh shitty photographs of <laughs> old huts in the middle of nowhere because we don't want our wives to come with because it's going to get too expensive." <laughs> <laughs> the struggle is real, that's for sure. That's uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, the news is out, guys. You have to take your wives to Alphonse. <laughs> oh dear. Well, if I have to put up with it, yeah, that sounds like a tough gig. Um, there's got to be worse places to take them, that's for sure. Um, Keith, I want to bring up a subject, and I want to prelude this subject a little bit. Um, in that, we want to talk about a species that's that's popular over there um, that myself and Vols haven't fished for, but we've heard a lot of information about, and and we want to we want to present you to some present to you some of the questions that get asked um, about that species. Um, and I guess I just wanted to, to, to say that we, we're coming from a point of view of not understanding it or not knowing about it. Um, and that is the, uh, the, uh, bumpies or the bump head parrots. Um, it, uh, the, I guess one of them, I'm oh, sorry, are, we, are you there, Keith? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, sorry. I thought it dropped out again. Um, one of the, one of the things that we, uh, we hear and we get, we get, uh, presented to us a little bit, um, on the show, we've had guests on in regards to it as well, um, is whether they eat or not and i guess that might be a pretty broad subject to to sort of leapfrog off and and present to you um what are your thoughts on that yeah well i mean they're, they're big blue animals uh, and they've got to eat something so they do eat definitely oh, oh yeah um, okay yeah. Eat flies, <laughs> <put it> that <laughs> my apologies so yeah. Uh, yeah so i mean the oompa loompas are the flats you know um <laughs> the you know, it, it, it the was yeah, yeah it, it's it's been it's been uh, um, how can I say it's been a long journey. So in the early days, you know, when we were trying to decipher how to catch these fish, and we didn't know what they were eating, you know, and we almost gave up because you know, in the early days, you would foul hook them with a, a clouser, or you would uh, cast a bonefish fly at them, and you would 
you would get a scale back or whatever. So we didn't really think we couldn't really figure it out. But then it all depends on where you find them and the scenarios you find them in and your ability to see what they're doing and how they're feeding. And then the whole picture comes together. So for instance, we used to see them in Farquhar in certain places and we couldn't, it was too much in a surf zone and we couldn't really fish them because we didn't have time to fish them because the guests were always hustling after GTs and so forth. But as things evolved, you know, you got you got time on your own, or you know, you got time in a, in a, in a place where you know, they were they hadn't been fished before, so they they weren't uh, getting spooked by by uh, by seeing you and so forth. So you end up in a scenario like that, and it, it started fitting together quite easily, quite quickly. Um, often, you know, a, a client would fish with me for like a couple of days for bumpies and not get and eat, and say, but they're not eating, and then you would say, but they are eating, and he would say, well, show me. For instance, like you know, one of the, one of the, the, the discerning mat, uh, moments in in my career fishing for bumpies was in the real early days. Was we were sitting on the boat, we we're having lunch, and the guest said to me, "They don't eat." So I said, "I'm telling you, they eat." So he said to you, "There we go. Show me how they eat." And we were sitting on that thing. I was sitting on my backside on the front of, of the boat in skinny water. I mean, shin deep, and there was a patch of white sand and. Along came a school of, of, of uh, uh, bumpies, smallish bumpies. And I just placed the fly on that white sand and waited. I didn't even stand up. And along came the bumpy parrotfish, and one broke off, turned on his side and ate the fly, and I struck him and hooked him, and he was on. And, you know, once you've seen that and you continue to see that, you, 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 you obviously, it's as clear as day they're eating it. Whether they, they know what they're eating, I don't know. It's a static fly. You're not stripping it into the fish. You know, you're just keeping tight uh, on the fish. If you get a fish to bumpies and they're feeding up current and you're going to cast the fly ahead of them, a heavy fly, and you let it swing through with the current and you strip it, you're going to follow him. You know, that's for sure. Mm. But if you're going to fish him in shallow water, static water, and placing it on, on, in the area where they can see that fly, you know, they're going to eat it. Definitely. And you're going to, you, yes, you're going to have some scenarios where, you know, you're fishing to a school of bumpies and, you know, the fish that, might, that are closer to you might swim into your line and drag the fly. And yes, then it's up to you to decide what you're going to do thereafter. You know, often we're just going to break it off. And mm. you can see where that fly is, we're going to break it off. So, yes, they definitely do eat, they do eat, but they definitely do get fouled and it depends on how you, you, you're fishing them. If you're fishing to bumpies in a, in, in, in waist deep water in a channel uh, and they're feeding on, you know, on the coral and stuff, and you, you're swinging it through them and stripping and so forth, you're going to follow him. There's no way he's going to eat it. Mm. But, you know, if you're getting him where his back's out the water, in shallow water, and they're moving really slowly, and you're presenting to, what, to, to where they're actually tailing and eating and, 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 and you're creating that mud, um, you're going to catch, catch him. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, it all depends on, on uh, you know, what you can see. So, you know, I like fishing a white flower, an orange flower, so I can see the flower where it is and whether it's eaten or not. You know, now as, as, as time has evolved, you know, we, we were fortunate enough now that we've got you know, skips with poles. So as a guide, you can be right at the top, you know, seven, eight foot in the air, uh, and, and you can do or 12 foot in the air because you're above the pole, above the, the, the putting platform, and you can see exactly what happens. And, you know, you know when, you, when you're pushing a pole along the flats and you've got a, an angle on the front, it's, it's so quiet, they have no idea that you're coming. And mm. you can see everything, and the angler can see everything. You can point that pole at the fish you want him to target, and you can explain exactly how you want him to make the cast without your feet making any crunching sound on the on, on, on the flat 
or you know, uh, you know, uh, or your land, uh, your line dragging, and so forth. So, and then when you place that that that, that fly, and you can see it from that 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 angle, you can see that the fish eats the fly. Without a doubt. I th- mate, you've presented a pretty good, pretty good argument there, Keith. I must admit, I, I, di- I actually didn't expect that. But uh, I, I mean, but I must say, hand on heart, I didn't have um, an opinion of it uh, like great deal. I think there's arguments for plus both both sides there. Um, let me pres- let me ask you this: We've heard some people say that if if you're stripping the fly, the bumpy doesn't doesn't eat, and and it's, it kind of sounds like it, it holds weight compared to what you just said there. Do you agree with that? Look, it all depends on the current. So, so I, I'm not stripping the fly to move the fly. I'm stripping mm. the fly to stay in contact with the fly, so if I know they eat it. So, no. you know, I've seen bump heads. You know, with current shallow water, with current, you make the make the cast ahead of them, and the fly bumps across the ground, uh, across the, the the flat bottom. You know, obviously, and then it gets to an area where the bumpy is, and he eats it. Um, so, you know, they're not going to only eat static things. They're going to obviously eat, you know, moving things as well. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, from a stripping point of view, it isn't in the sense of, of moving the fly. It's more of staying in, in contact with that fly. Well, yeah, I think I think um, when we've heard that on the show, people are referring to stripping the fly. Yeah, well, it's not stripping the fly. It's staying, it's staying in contact with the fly. I understand. Um, you know, yeah. yeah. Look, I yeah. mean, you know, you know, people will fish for, for bumpies and they'll strip the fly you, um, and, and not really know where that fly is, and and you will snag a fish. Um, you know, sometimes you 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 fish for a bumpy, and you you are moving the fly to stay in contact with it, and you hook a bumpy, and you think sure for sure that's that's fly hooked. But mm. you know, you fight the fish, and uh, you land it, and that and that that flies in the gums. You know, in that yeah. soft part in the corner of the mouth. Keith, can can I ask a question? When when we look at, at photos on on uh, social media with with bumpies on fly, is it, well. You know, you've seen them obviously caught both ways. Is is there a way you you can tell by looking at photos? Or? Absolutely, you can see exactly where that fly sits because if that fly sits in the hump or in the in the face, um, yep. you will see you know the bruising. So it's obviously it's a bright bright coloured um, blue and um, green green fish, and where that fly is seated will be a, a mark. Um, you'll often see you know the bruising in the side of the mouth. And often, you know, because the line, because it's got a, such a big profile and the line is often runs across the body, you'll see the direction of the line where it's touched the body and where yeah. it ends up, um, for sure. You, know, you, can, you can tell whether that fish has been followed or not. And sometimes the fly is pointing the wrong direction too. You know, you, you'll see a, the hawk eye sort of in a direction looks like it's been pulled, or, you know, away from the fish rather than, I don't know how to explain that, like back along it. Yeah. For sure, that, that could be a case of, of flossing the fish. But uh, mm. um, sometimes, you know, that fish uh, tries to eat it and that hook is facing that way and it ends up in the outside of the mouth. But, you know, the hook hook comes to the, the, the soft part. So, I mean, there's so many different scenarios that can come into play. I mean, I mean, you yeah. you can hook you can hook a GT on the outside of the mouth when he's trying to eat the fly and he's definitely trying to eat the fly. So there's mm. yeah, there's yeah. so many different scenarios. There's, there's, no, there's no right and wrong. You know, the only, the only right and wrong would be the way you fish him. Yeah, um, Keith, you must get a lot of bite offs, though, right? I mean, look at the dentition going on with that 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 species. It looks like a set of bulk cutters. It doesn't look like there's a leader in the world that could survive a um, a, a, a hooked fish inside the mouth. Yes and no. Um, you know, um, not not many bite offs. Um, it would ha- it happens from time to time, mm. but generally, you know, they they know where the coral is. You know, so <laughs> oh, you said yeah, okay, so. 
he yeah. knows exactly where the car is. So I'm, I'm, you know, you know, there's been film clips of me jumping in the water. You know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm proactive in the sense when I've got a big bumpy, I know he's hooked in the mouth. If he goes anywhere around the coral, yes, yes, my, people might frown, frown at me jumping in the water, but I, I'll jump in the water with a net. So it's because I know exactly where he's going to. Yeah. <laughs> going to round him off at the <laughs> round him off at the pass, so to speak, right? Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. I've I've landed bumpies, you know, um, four meters in, uh, down where they've wrapped the fly line four times around the, the coral head, and and he's he's still sitting there with a the fly in his mouth, and you net him, and you know, and people say, oh, but you know, you haven't really fought him. You, you know, well, you know, it, it it doesn't matter. It all depends on what uh, how the angler's feeling, and if I'm get, end up with a happy client at the end of the day, I'm willing to do it. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's do you think it's um possible to match the hatch with these fish? I guess what I'm asking is, do you think they're eating out of a reaction? I mean, because they're coral eaters, right? They're not they're not they're not eating crabs. Do we know much about their diet in that respect? So I don't know much about their diet. You know, all I know is that they eat a massive amount of coral. And that's why we've got so much white sand all over the place. Yeah. But uh, uh, yeah, I just yeah, I think there's still a lot to learn. You know, yeah. are they eating? Will they eat brittle starfish? Uh, are they eating crabs? You know, um, will they eat a dead crab lying there? Um, and I think we'll learn that. You know, you know, now that we get to spend more time in the atolls, uh, you know, and and uh, well, guides get to spend more time in the atolls, and you know, they get they get time to spend time without clients, and they they have you know better vertical views from pony platforms, and you know, I think I think we're going to learn a lot still, um, and and. Now that we have the budget to get scientific research involved, you know, uh, um, I think we'll learn a lot. Mm. I, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing perhaps I, I, I would have reckoned it'd be pretty 100% sure that in, in the history of time, someone must have cut one open and um, to eat, whether it's been fly fishing or, or conventional fishing or what have you. Have you ever been in the presence of seeing gut contents of those fish? Yeah, so we've never had one die. Well, I've never had one die with me. Yeah. So, um, you know, if I had one... I would definitely take it. For instance, I've had you know Indo-Pacific per- permit eaten by shark and milkfish eaten by shark, and the first thing I do is I go in, into the stomach content and see what they've been eating. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, I haven't I haven't had one yet. Um, generally, you know they're left alone by the sharks, mm-hmm. um, you know because they you know obviously in a, in a big herd. Um, so yeah, um, no, we we I, I don't know. Um, I, I'm I'm sure I'm sure at some stage there will be one that's that, that's been taken by a shark. And we'll 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 have the opportunity to or or dies, and we'll have the opportunity to have a look in the stomach content. Yeah, well, look, Keith. I mean, it, it's some pretty squirrely questions, and uh, some and and uh, I'm sure you're aware of the controversy that's around it. And I think you've answered it quite well. I think it puts a lot of the rumours to, to bed. You know, there's not too many people uh, outside of your outfit that have um have have been in the presence of of so many bumpies in that respect. So. You guys are probably at the forefront of um of the development of that fishery. Uh, although they're found, I mean, we find them around Australia as well. They're just um much rarer, I guess, to uh to have people put to be in a position to be able to present a fly to. Let's put it that way. So your insights well, are valuable in that respect. But I mean, the, the, the bumpies, you know, fish, being able to fish for bumpies in in the Seychelles is there's only two places. Mm. So we only get them in Providence and, and Farquhar in in situations where you can fish them. Yeah. yeah. So it is, it is. It's not a common. It's not a common thing. But oh, yeah. yeah I mean, when you ask the question, uh, Keith, can you honestly say that you know you don't foul hook the fish? That's we foul hook fish for sure. And mm. you know, when you've got an angler who's fishing them for the fir- for the first time, generally, you know, they're going to foul hook more fish than they're going to catch. 
but mm. uh, but the, to answer your question, but we we definitely genuinely catch them as well. I, that's enough for me. I mean, to to know that it's possible to get them to eat, you know, is 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 um, just opens up a whole new world of daydreaming for me. You know, that's for yeah. sure. So it's yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the, the last scenario I had, I mean, if you if you watch the film Farquhar, um, was with my business partner, um, uh, Devan van der Meva. You know, um, he was in the bow and he was desperate to catch a bump. He had never, never caught one. He's been in the Seychelles for 15 years. He's never had the opportunity. So we were on the flats. I was on the pole and we got them in a scenario on the white sand. And, uh, um, you know, he, he hooked a, a massive bumpy and, and, you know, that's a genuine fish that's eaten the fly, so... Mm. Wow. I, I haven't seen that. I'll check. Where, yeah, where can we find that? Um, it was on one of the film tours, um, I think Rise Film Tour, but it, oh. we'll be getting it uh, live on, on, on YouTube pretty soon. So just, okay. just keep your eye out and I'll, I'll let you know when it's, it's live. Yeah, cool. Hey, hey Keith, um, something that's probably tied in with the, with the Seychelles, um, you, you know, you would have seen over your time in, in expedition fishing a lot of, uh, a lot of fishing reels, um, you know, probably of all varieties. And you would have seen, no doubt, you know, because some, some of the techniques and the, the number and size of the fish over there is just, you know, test, test gear to the absolute maximum. Um, one of the brands that's, that's risen out of that is, uh, is Shilton. Do, do you mind talking about um, your involvement in, in Shilton and, and its evolution over the years? Yeah, Shilton. I mean, I've been fishing Shilton for over twenty years. So Shilton started in, I think, nineteen ninety seven, um, as just just doing some trout reels. But you know, obviously, you know, in those days, you know, looking at all the international reels, they were expensive. So there was a gap in the market um, where you know um, the founder, a guy called Tony Fratelli, uh, um, had the opportunity to make these reels. So um, I've been involved in the design aspect of them for. Uh, over 20 years, you know, I, I'm, I'm passionate about Shilton in the sense that I've caught uh, all my uh, um, big and um, and crazy fish species over, over the years. I've done all my exploring with them, um, you know, and the reason why they're so great is that they're so simple. You know, they're built from solid uh, aluminium. You know, there's no flex in the spools. You can apply tension with a, with a cork drag to the max, you know, um, and if there's an issue with the reel for some reason, which really – really happens you know you have the ability to open it up and solve that issue in seconds um you know i've i've never had a, a shorten uh, um that i own or you know um bust up on me um you know the only issue you could have is if you submerge the reel in water for an extended period of time without the drag locked um, and and water gets between the spool and the, and the cork drag and then you just open it up and simply wipe it on your shirt and put it back together and carry on, continue fishing so you know, it, it really, really has been a great journey with Shilton. Um, you know, obviously, we've got some newer models out now. There's some newer models out now um, with, with fa funky colors and stuff. But, uh, you know, I'm still fishing my original reels. I still have the SL7, which, uh, you know, I got, uh, um, you know, almost 18 years ago, you know. And uh, so much so that some of my reels I've, I've, I've uh, given to uh, um, Alphonse to put in the loan reel uh, pool. We, you know, they, they fished, um, they're out in the water for eight months of the year every single day and very little issues with them. So, you know, 
the most important thing with oil reel is that you know once you've dunked him under salt water, you've got to get that salt out. So you've got to obviously wash the reel, and then uh, once you've washed the reel in fresh water, you know, at the end of, end of the, after every day, you know, then at the end of the trip, you've got to open it up and just get the uh, clean the salt out, and it's right as rain for the next trip. Yeah, look, uh, you know, from someone, you know, I've I've, I've owned I own a Shilton. Now I've got the SR9. I'm going to I'm going to purchase the SR10 and 12 pretty soon as well. Um, you know, and I come from a background I love cork drag reels. Um, I, I also own a, own a lot of um, uh, you know sealed synthetic drag reels, but out of the cork drag reels I've owned like Abel and Tibor, um, Islander. Uh, there's there's this almost brutal practical elegance about the Shilton is so um it, it it almost doesn't come through in the photos when in hand they're they're amazing um, i agree yeah 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 there's such a elegant brute the simplicity is their beauty it, it, they're, they're so robust um you know there's something that i really sort of enjoy using look i mean they're, they're, they're built to perform a, a function and yeah. at the right price point um, is obviously you know you you can't get away from you know the costs involved with with machining uh, you know uh, uh, billet, uh, a you know um, solid um, round pieces of of aluminium billet yeah, yeah. so uh, you know and there's obviously all the costs associated with machining different parts and the anodizing and so forth so um, you know but they are at a price point which is which is reasonable for for what you're getting um, you know and I, I do agree with you that the simplicity is what what makes them unique. Um, it's, they, you know, as beautiful as, as an old Land Cruiser, um, you know that he's not going to let you down. And if he does, it's a simple problem, and you can, you know, you can kickstart him or whatever it is you want to do. So, um, yeah, for me, for me, it's it's always been Shilton, always will be Shilton. And um, yeah, there's some some new things that are coming out, you know. But you know, the fact of the matter is, the the reel hasn't changed much over the years. It's the same as it was, you know, yeah. in 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 uh, 1997 when they started the the SL range. Well, wow, that's that's a fantastic history, and and to know that it's been you know evolved and and developed to 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 work and to not fail in remote scenarios, um, and, and if they do fail, that's a super easy fix, is um, you know that, that's so reassuring. Um, so with with yeah, if you if you I mean I'm I'm going to jump in here, but if you, I'm definitely not anti uh, um, seal drags and and other kinds of materials, but but for me it, it's just it's just a matter of having that question mark. You know, is is the reel going to fail? Are you going to get to a destination and not have a reel that's functioning? Um, and it has over the past. You know, there's there's been issues with, you know, there's so many different uh, determining factors. You know, for instance, if you have a seal drag and you fly in an unpressurized plane, what happens to the parts inside that seal drag with the movement of air? For instance, when you know when you when you when the plane's uh, descending or ascending, you know you obviously have a, a water bottle that sucks in or or pops. Um, you know, so you know if you have pressurized planes that sometimes don't pressurize properly. So, what happens to to those reels? So, um, you know, or you, if you if you fall on a, on a, on a seal drag, or you know, there's, there's so many different things that can happen. And for me, you know, I have been let down in the past, and uh, you know, at, at no fault to the reel or the drag or whatever. It's just you know, there's so many different uh, factors that come into play. So I just like to go to these remote destinations or and explore destinations knowing that, you know, the four reels that I've got in the bag, you know, if there's an issue with any of them, I can solve it. Hmm. Yep. Keith, is, is that the primary input to design that you have with, with Shilton? Or is there other factors that you 
take into into consideration? No, no, no real, no real, uh, um, you know, other design uh, factors. No, the only only reason why we added a third dog in the SR range is because you know, it, you know, if two dogs are working, one's not, then there's no issue. Um, you know, so uh, well, I don't know what you you call a dog, but we call it, you know, it's a dog a or a plunger. Or yeah. Paul or whatever, yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, and you know, you, you can see that. I mean, some of the design aspects of a Shilton you now are cribbed from other reels because there were obviously other reels before us. But what we've done is we've added the design aspects to it, which which have, have improved it. Like, for instance, the enclosed uh, plunger or uh, pull or dog, whatever you call it. Mm. Um, yeah, which makes which makes a significant difference because you know it's encased and it can't it can't you know get some gunge on it and pop off. Mm. I tell you that it, for whatever reason, it it sounds like a tank. You know, you 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 get it in your hands the first time, and there's just like Valti said. Like I, I agree with everything you said earlier on. It, it's when when people ask us what 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 our Shiltons are like, you know, they might say, you know, oh, what, I'm thinking of getting a new reel. What do you think of your Shilton? You're like, you, you've got a whole one. You know, you got a whole one. And once you start hearing those 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 dogs or those paws like click over, like it's just it just sounds solid as you know, and you can tell. That you know, like that that reassurance of, of a solid reel to feel with. But when you when you hear this uh, uh, the story of of, of most of, of all these design features that are centered around reliability, you know, like you you only have to pick the thing up for a couple of seconds to be reassured of that's exactly what you you're getting. It's um they're they're impressive reels, that's for sure. They really really are. Excuse the pun. Yeah, and they've been tested. So I mean, they've had twenty years on of saltwater bashing on you know catching all sorts of fish species around the world so yeah um yeah but you still gotta you still gotta treat them with respect and you've got to clean them yeah yeah of course is is there any prep that you would you would recommend for people who've got a, a new one anything yeah so i mean there's, there's there's no prep there's no prep it obviously comes with a linseed oil for the, the for the drag uh for the, for the cork drag you know um it comes lubed so you don't need to do anything with it um you know the most important thing is just make sure that the the cork doesn't get too dry, and if it does, you don't need to put a massive amount of, of lube on the cork drag. It's just a, a couple, two, three dots of of, of um, lube. Then tighten up the drag and spin the spin the drag so that it's, uh, the, the the lube will then spread onto the spool. Mm. Um, you know, if you if you're on the flats and you have a scenario where the reel's got wet um, and there's water on the on the drag, and you know you're getting sort of a hold and a release um, sort of. Uh, um, Scenario with 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 a drag when you got a fish on, it's very simple. Just uh, take a you know a flat screwdriver or a coin or a, you know from a leatherman whatever you've got, and just open or a back of a the the, the bend or shank of a fly and just open up that little um, sort of uh, nut on the back on the drag, on the drag uh, knob. Put it in yeah. your mouth, unscrew the the screw the, the the drag knob, pull the reel apart, take your dry part of your shirt and wipe it on the the back of the spool and wipe it on the um, the cork drag and put it back together and it will function perfectly. Um, you know, the most important thing is when you come back in the evenings um, from the day on the water, tighten the drag up, dunk it in fresh water. Um, and then at the end of the week, um, do the same thing, dunk it in the fresh water and then take the take the reel apart, um, uh, take a, a rag and get rid of all the salt, make sure that, you know, all the salt crystals which would have you know, accumulated in, 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 in the closed areas, you know, um, and then just make sure it's dry and put it back together and then put it back in its pouch and it's ready for the next trip. You know, the, the only time I've ever received photographs with, with uh, um, 
guys that have reels with, you know, they open up the reel and they go, oh, but look at the corrosion. You say, but you fish the reel, you dunk it underwater, you put it back in the reel seat, and then you left it for three years. Um, <laughs> you're not going to find much at the end of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, Keith, is there, um, is there anything in the future, like new, new projects or new reel sizes that you could let the cat out of the bag with? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I don't think you guys do any, or I know of Australians that, that love salmon fishing, but I don't know of Australians that, that do any sort of uh, um, spay casting in, in Australia and in New Zealand, those places. But um, I know there's, there are some salmon up in New Zealand and stuff. So, um, yeah. yeah, we're going to be bringing out a, a, a limited edition classic version of the SL7, which is a, a spay reel. Um, uh -huh. I was testing it up in, in Norway. That will be coming out sometime soon. Um, there's a couple other things we're working working on uh, with regards to um, tool, tooling tools. Um, we're hoping to do a set of pliers um, at some stage, but obviously, you know, um, backlog is limiting us in, in, with regards to production and stuff like that. But we're getting there. Um, other than uh, some some trucker caps and a range of three different uh stickers um not much um you know the reels are performing well so there's no no reason to really change them um but yeah but if if there are any changes or any exciting things coming i'll let you know okay. how, how good is that is it, it's uh what you, what you may may not realize you you've done for, for for someone like myself to listen to that but just listen how these reels are made so strong and they're, and they're made so basic and stuff like that and when you talk about um anything new that comes out you, you kind of um i mean you told us some new stuff and it's great but essentially it's not broken. Why, why fix it? You know? So it's, it's, um, aside from the limited edition stuff, like you just said right at the end there, like, um, you know, the, the reels are going well, they're good and strong. There's uh, not much to change. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, I think that's pretty the, good. The, the only trend we've kind of had is, you know, obviously with the colors coming out, the guys have, have got a, you know, a full titanium reel and they they really, they want to pimp the reel. So they buy another SL7 in, in full color and they just swap the components around and, and pimp the reels. And other than that, you know, there's, there's not much going on. It's just, uh, you know, the reels are working and they, they're doing the job. Yeah. Mm. Keith, I've got um, one more question for you. Um, what's on your, what's on, what's on um, your bucket list? Well, I would love to go catch a Goliath tiger. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's something I would love to do. You know, it is one of the last frontiers. Um, there's a lot on my bucket list. Um, I'm, I'm actually, but you know, fortunate enough to have just ticked one of the major ones, which was the Alta River. Mm -hmm. um, but there's so many rivers and unique, unique destinations around the world that I'd love to fish. You know, I'm, a, uh, I'm, I'm a, an avid uh, um, spay caster and and salmon fisherman. So I'm hoping to fish a lot more rivers up in in Norway. Um, yeah, I mean. I've been fortunate to catch big, uh, big Marcia, big Timon, big Atlantic salmon, big GTs, all the you know, saltwater sp uh, species of the Seychelles. You know, uh, catch I've caught uh, uh, massive uh, um, tigerfish. Uh, um, so yeah, I'm I'm not sure. I suppose it's just about you know there's so many diff different destinations and new destinations out there that I'd like to experience them all. Whether it's catching small trout or or, or big big giant ready. Mm. Mate, always interesting to hear someone of your experience of what, what their bucket list is. I guess um, it doesn't sound like grass is always greener, but it's just always interesting to see that someone as restless, you know, uh, given given the amount of um, fish under your belt. It's pretty cool to hear. 
Yeah, I've still got to tick the anic box. Um, I did obviously fish up in the, in the the vessels, and for some strange reason, I didn't um, hook an anic. I, I could I could obviously blotch, blotchy, mm. but uh, yeah, that's one of one of my uh, uh, one of my species I'd I'd love to catch. And then obviously the Africanus as well, um, I'd love to catch. So um, those are going to be the top of my list for the for the next few trips. Wow, yeah. awesome, yeah. Well, Keith, uh, unless you unless is there anything you want to add or want to um, talk to the listeners about before we before we no, wrap nothing, this up? Nothing much there, other than uh, um, yeah, it'd be great chatting to you guys and uh, good luck for the rugby. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna beat it, mate. We're uh, got touched up by the palms the other night. Um, you know, I'd, I'd like to say I, I think the referee had a big part of that, but you know, um, yeah, we. We'll return to the top of the tree before long. Maybe the next World Cup, mate. We'll be there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the last few weeks have been interesting for everybody. The Kiwis obviously lost, and we lost to the Welsh for the first time ever in South Africa. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> interesting yeah. times with the rugby. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a funny time. But, yeah. All right, mate. Well, uh, Keith, thanks for your time. It, like I said, it's, you know, it's, it's always been um, – high on my list of, of um, priorities to, to get you on the show and I really appreciate your time. You're a busy man. Um, thanks very much. Uh, thank you, guys. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, thanks, Pete. Chat soon, mate. Fuck it up, all right. Just okay, good. <laughs> what makes you, what makes you think I'm gonna fuck it up? I'm not gonna fuck it up. No, I've never fucked up the outro or the intro. Oh, I've done it already. Don't it's the outro. I've never fucked up the intro to the outro in the past. We're on. Welcome back to the uh, fast sinking line, folks. And I hope you really enjoyed our time with Keith. What a legend! Boom, mic drop. <laughs> Great interview. <laughs> hey, Vols, I killed that. that intro. Hey, that was that was yeah. You nailed it, man. Uh, that that. Uh... That podcast was uh, was almost in insignificant comparison to your uh, to your intro to the outro. <laughs> correct, correct. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. So you didn't um, stumble on that at all, man. But Keithy, mate, he's nailed that. Absolutely, absolutely. It definitely opened my eyes. Um, you know, hearing about his experience with with bumpheaded parrotfish. Um, you know, particularly how he spoke about. Um, about you know um, numerous occasions, but um, where he'd seen he'd actually witnessed a, a bumpy go out of its way to eat a fly um, that you know was in the middle of a clear sand patch. There's no other reason for that. Yep, you know, he did say that. Yep, did he? He did say that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's what I thought he said. You just you just heard him say it, man. Yeah, <laughs> that's what you said. If he did say that, I'm like, hey, no. I heard that. He fucking no. said it. Yeah. No. Yeah, and, so and it, was, it was good. And that that for me, like hearing that. It sort of, you know, put those things back on the list of things I'd love to catch, you know. And, um, you know, knowing that it can be done, can be done fair and square. Um, you know, there's no, there's no doubt. 
um, I think it's fucking great. So yeah, but don't don't be tricked, folks. There's a lot of guys flossing too, as Keith mentioned as well. Yeah. So yeah. you know, just um. Yeah. yeah, it's going to be pretty hard to follow the beef for that one because it's pretty easy to flip a fish around and not show that 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 uh, trauma mark. That's for sure. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's going to be a hard one to follow that one. But uh, anyway, it can be done, and it's really interesting to hear that, especially when it comes from someone like Keith who's got zero to prove. You know, like I mean, I'm sure he wouldn't give a shit if he turned around and said, "Yeah, we've lost them all. Big deal, whatever." You know, but he didn't. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. you know, there's. He's selling a dream, you know. A lot of the mm-hmm. time, these trips are, you know, for a lot of people, they're, they're once only or they're once in a lifetime scenario. Or, you know, if you're really fortunate, um, you know, and you've worked hard, you might might be something you get to do often, more often than that. But it, you know, it's still it's still a big a big big trip, and um, you know, hearing about I do it, know. yeah, it's good. I would yeah. I dream of doing something like that. That'd be fantastic. And and. Once again, Keith, if you listen this far, thank you for making yourself available. Thank you for sharing your insights into um, those fisheries, expedition fishing, and also um, uh, Shilton Reels. Um, you know, uh, just straight up, dude. Um, very easy to talk to, you know, on and off the air. Um, you know, legend. I know, I know if I'm going to the Seychelles, I'm giving Keith a call. No problem and, at all. And that was another episode of uh, Volties on Keith Nuts. Thanks, Volts. Verbose, thank you. I can't uh, believe you just said that. Speaking (laughs) of, uh, (laughs) speaking of savagery, um, (laughs) yeah, so, yeah, I I might have talked about it in the intro, but I've, um, you know, I was telling you about the guy sent me the fridge magnet and the the mug. Yeah. In my comeback. Yeah, I'm sending, I found this place where you can do online calendars where you put all, like, photos of, you know, yourself or something like that. So, yeah, I found this one where I can get three three photos per month. Unfortunately, there's only 12 months available. I'm going to go for two years if I could. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the poor bars had to get 36 photos of me. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes like, every month. Work. Yeah. Mr. April, Mr. <laughs> June. <laughs> what a, so you're a calendar model now that's interesting mate well that's uh that's that's fantastic mate and i um i would imagine that the end of each month comes with a with a distinct sorrow for the uh Prado household that's awesome <laughs> i wonder what's coming up next yeah yeah I, wonder, yeah I wonder if they'll sneak any like sneaky looks or anything you know just sort of what's he doing next month you know <laughs> i'm sure they up. will i don't even reckon i'll hang it up i reckon this guy will sneak it Maybe I'd address it to his wife. I know her name. And then just say, yeah, give give this. Bold to move. Him. Bold move. Who cares? You only live once. Maybe I'll send Mate, it to one at Christmas. Shooters, shooters are going to shoot, dude. That's that's, that's another <laughs> way to look at it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Just make Speaking. sure she's got no heart problems, I guess, you know, if you're going to send uh, her a calendar like that, hey? <laughs> I'm no Burt Reynolds, man. Yeah. 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 Not, no more, more like, more like Pelt, Pelt Reynolds, right? Uh, so listen, in the intro, you may or may not remember we said we, we wanted to invite people to stick around for the outro to talk about something that was a bit of a um, uh, controversial issue. Um, remember that? Yeah, yeah, we did talk about that. Yeah, so um, so the listeners want, want to share that there's an event that's happened uh, recently uh, on social media where a, um, a lure maker who lives around near us has been plagiarised, I think is the best way to put it. Um, so the guy's name is James Holt. Holt Productions. He makes a swim prawn. It's a it's a lure. Uh, we, I know we're a fly fishing podcast, but it's it's um it's a it's a it's a it's a recent event that's quite relative to what we want to talk about. So yeah. essentially, 
well, do you want to expand on it? What's what's happened there, Volts? Well, the similarities between the, between the two things it is it is a fishing a cottage fishing industry. It's a own manufacturer. It's geographically and ideologically very closely located for both of us. Um, you know, like the the guy. The guy James is, um, you know, he he was a trade. He's chased a dream in the tackle manufacturing um, industry. He's making lures. Um, he's come up with a very innovative and a very effective design. He's marketed it at hard by by fishing. Like the guy just fishes so hard, makes instructional videos, um, and produces a lot of a lot of creditable captures in a really hard fished estuary. Um, you know, it's it's fantastic what he's done. There's, he hasn't taken one shortcut. And then, then to have it, you know, have his concept so closely plagiarised, um, for want of a better word, it's very obvious to, to most people, you know, what, what's happened, you know, a very, very large global tackle brand has, has brought out something that's incredibly similar yeah. uh, in concept and execution and size. Yeah. Um, yeah, that so... Yeah. That, that's the issue, and it's, it's just such a large company has come along that could, could wipe him out. That's uh, that's 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 like you said, plagiarised his design. Yeah. Now, like as you point out, just to read out just a bit there, uh, you know, James is a fisherman, uh, and a lot of what he's done is based on his observations on the water, like any good fly tire, uh, you know. But you know, he's he's made this his bread and butter, and that's and that's really the point that we you know we talk we sort of set up for James. But the thing is, it's not illegal what this company's doing. Okay, it's not it's not something that uh, you know that that um it's unethical by, by it's the definition of unethical but it's not illegal it's not far, hard to come across and see someone with more money produce another product and potentially knock someone out the problem mm -hmm. that means is 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 probably bigger than it is for james as it is for you and and there's a lot of situations in the in our industry that um, that this can relate to as well but the support that james is getting from the consumers is is huge you know, and it's, and it's really good to see a lot of people seem to be boycotting this larger, larger company. Um, and, and, and hopefully by doing so and making their, um, their self heard through sales and, and social media interaction, James can hang around. And I, and it brings up a bigger point, I guess. And that is where would we be without innovators in this industry, in, in fly fishing, like to bring it back to fly fishing as a fly fishing podcast. Yeah, you have a think about that. Like, I mean, many of us are influenced by by innovators. Think of everyone that you're in, well, in, uh, influenced by, no matter what you do. Let's well, say it's even magnet fishing. Think <laughs> of take out the highest, the, the most innovative magnet fisherman in this whole industry, and think of what your your inspiration would be like without those guys there. Well, look at look at the guy we just had on, Keith. You know, he yep. innovated. He was part of the innovation and went to far flung places chasing, you know, exotic species. And it was fucking cool, you know, and and you know he's got he's got competition. He's got competition on his reels. He's got competition on his locations. He's got he's got DIYs getting in there, you know. Um, and and it, you know it's inevitable. It's going to happen, but it doesn't make it okay. And you know it, it sort of devalues the hard work that goes on. Um, yeah, you know, it takes a lot more energy and a lot more expense to lead than it does to follow. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, we we don't. It's it, it. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's easier for this to come across like it's a pity party for the for those poor businessmen, you know. But yeah. it's uh, but it's not. It, you got to think of yourself in this in this regard, and that's that's the point I guess we're trying to make is just imagine without them there, and the and the and the reason that these 
um, plagiarist. Is that a right word? Yep. The reason these plagiarists exist is because you're there to spend money on it. You're there to okay it through social media interaction. You're there, you know, supporting it through through laziness. You know, um, apathy. Apathy. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So it's it's really it really comes the, the reason this has happened to James is because of the consumer, and and if that's confronting to you, like I, I apologize, but it but it is what it is. And like I said earlier, could you imagine if someone like imagine if James Holt came up as an example, came up with this this swim prawn that he did. Showed his mates, they're going, oh, this is going to be crazy. And he's going, you know what? Uh, if he could have a crystal ball and look into the future and go, I'm going to spend, I'm going to leave my job. I'm going to make nothing for another couple of years. Eventually, it'll start to make money. When I get on my feet and it starts to like sell really well, uh, uh, an international company is going to come along and plagiarize it and, and they're going to wipe me out. And then I'm going to be back back on the tools again in this shitty job that I hated at the start. You would think back, like if that was a montage in a movie, it would zoom right back to that moment. He sort of started to think of the future, and and why the fuck would you do it? Yep. You know what I mean? And and like so, all that takes is for one innovator to see that happen to another innovator, and then you don't have uh, pink things. You don't have game changers. You don't have Dahlbergs. You know what I mean? Do you see what I'm saying here? Like you don't it's have fancy new rods. You don't have yep. cool reels that are, you know, adapted to fisheries and and locations you don't have you know new lines you just get the yeah. same cookie cutter ones that you had last time you know yeah so so I, as a consumer you need to be smarter and and i, and I will really i will really put this on to use the listeners that recognize copycats you know the people people that are you know like that might be copying something that's hot right now like someone might tie a fly or do a video or something like that then two days later they might put out the same fly you know like i mean like that's really distasteful and really unethical really especially when they're in the same game as an example you know or you know even even with this with the podcast you know you might get someone who does a uh, a whole special or get someone on as a as a manufacturer who makes fly rods and then you know who knows like a within a week later someone else might put out like a lesser podcast might put out like a a whole podcast about fly rods as well you know you're like the audacity you know like i mean no no one's no one's um more people are laughing at, at, at that situation than than anything else it's it's kind of sad really but um, are you a you a Leslie Nielsen fan, dude? Oh yeah, I am, mate. Is it, yeah, yeah. Why is uh, that? You like that one? Uh, I think it's Naked Gun, where he goes, "Desperation is a stinky cologne." <laughs> 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 oh man, I'm I'm sure there's some uh, people in this industry who got that up as a motivational poster in their office. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I don't know if I'm that making my is. point my yeah. point clear. But you're listening to me talk, Vols. Do you, do you do you see the what I'm trying to get at here? Yeah, I totally get, you know, ultimate, and I, it's not only applies to fly fishing, it applies to any sort of manufacturing or retail or, or any sort of product or service, to be honest, you know, if you accept imitation, then, you know, eventually you're going to suffer on quality because, you know, imitation stifles um, innovation and, and then the only sustainable um, advantage is to, is to pull, um, to, you know, to maximise profit is to pull, to pull quality out of the equation. Mm. And, um, you know, with that, um, we all lose. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. I've seen it happen to so many friends in this industry. I, like, I don't want to make this about myself. I mean, it's happened to me as well. But I mean, you know, like I've watched, I've watched friends' artwork get, get taken off them. I've, I've seen friends who come up with like, uh, you know, super innovative and super unique flies for their fishery and then watch someone at the other end of the country just completely copy it. Like I'm getting on, like, awkwardly getting on that popularity train. It's like, God, man, just, 
just stay in your lane. I mean, you, you look at James like that to go back to him. You couldn't get someone who's staying in their lane more than James, and and it is just a beef master. That follow the beef kit like the campaign just comes up time and time again. It's such a fitting. It was originally a joke, as we mentioned, but such a fitting slogan for this situation. Here's a guy that's out on the water, translating his observations to a product, puts his balls on the line, sells it to you. You guys do better on the water for it. And then another massive company comes in and goes, hey, um, you guys are so fucking stupid. We're going to do this too. And I bet you they sell it. I bet you they sell, man. Yeah. It's a, you know, I bet you they do. I, I really feel sorry for James. There's not much he can really do except, you know, like we show him our support. I don't even own a spin rod. I feel like buying a packet of his plastics. You know, the sad thing is, within a few years, I'm pretty sure, you know, if if he um, if he doesn't survive, the, the that new product will probably define a category. You know, people will be like, oh, you know, those X Y Z swim prawns are just amazing. You know, yeah. people forget about it, and it's really sad because it it'd be uh, it'd be another sad chapter in in um, you know in local manufacturing and innovation gone by the wayside yeah. certainly will well guys i think uh, i think where you spend your money is just as important in this day and age where it's a um a, a, an era of marketing to let it you know let them know just by not even pressing like on their social media stuff you know wh- whoever these scenarios are just just think twice of yourself selfishly really you know like don't you know if you want to think you know, selflessly and think of the innovator or the person that, that's suffering from that for sure great you're, you're a good human but Right down to it, you know, if you want to think of it selfishly, you're the one who's going to miss out, sadly, at the end of the day. I mean, James will still make those those lures. I'm sure he could hand pour them at home and he'll still be fishing with them, as an example, you know. Um, you know, he'll, 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 he'll have them. You won't. Yeah. 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 Mm. And sadly, he, he will probably won't show it, uh, share his next great idea. Yep. You know? Exactly. Yeah. But he'll go on catching shit. You won't. So. Yeah, and you, yeah, exactly. You won't. You'll you'll spend years figuring out what what's taken him years to figure out that he's willing to share with you. Yeah. yeah. Hell yeah, man. Well, that that was um that was dark, but uh, but enlightening at the same time. Yeah, I'm glad we got it off our chest. We got it off our chest, mate. We got you. It, it worked its way through your pelt to to a glimmer of sunlight, get another couple of inches, and it's up to the surface. There it is. Yeah. There it is. Looking just like a glowing ball of um. Of opinion yeah <laughs> i had nothing there uh look man hey um before we uh wrap it up and keep in touch with ourselves mm. um <laughs> did i tell you about how the the uh the guy with the with a coffee mug and a fridge magnet yeah mate you did at the beginning of the outro remember did i yeah or was it the one we recorded earlier what the hell are you talking about man did we are you Sorry. okay pretty sure we didn't talk about it this one no dude we um we recorded the the intro and then we recorded the outro and the beginning of the outro that people have just listened to you described making this calendar for 36 months and sending it to his wife okay so don't Seven worry years. man it's all right it's, it's getting late and um and if you want to um subscribe to Volti's gofundme page for his alzheimer's kicking in um yeah. But by, by all means, just contact uh, vestigialtail.com, uh, GoFundMe. Yeah, buy one of my calendars before uh, someone copies it. You dog. You got to sell those calendars, dude. Come on, we should we should we should put them up on the page and sell them and fund our next fishing trip, our next yeah. vlog. Buy the 12, calendar. Twelve months with vaults. Yeah. <laughs> How many copies did you get? <laughs> well, buy one get one free. But oh, yeah. <laughs> well, 
Limited edition. We should make it a competition. <laughs> Tag the podcast. Have you, have you also got a second one, Volts? There's one in the mail, yeah. It's but one. you buy one, get one free, right? So you've got one to send to, to old mate. <laughs> and you've got another one that's just hanging around. And let's face it, man, you're not going to want a calendar in your house of you, right? I mean, that'd be weird, right? Kids will fucking hit the roof. Oh, know? for sure, man, for sure. So let's let's yeah. make it a competition. I'm surely someone is going to want the great pelted one to look at every month. How how original is that, mate? You know, intermediate line calendar, one off, folks. <laughs> all you need to do to win this calendar, there needs to there needs to be more than ten entrants because I don't think this is going to be very popular. Yeah, that's right. But uh, you need you gotta to like and, <laughs> got to like and share the whole production post. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> this is legit, folks. I, I, yeah. Legit, Vox. Can we give this away or what? We need, we need, we need a hashtag. Twelve months of Vox. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's how we'll pick it. We'll uh, we'll do the hashtag yeah. twelve months of Vox, and then yeah. after 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 before the next show. So I'll give it a fortnight. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll we'll just do a scroll. We'll do a random pick. We'll do it. We'll record the screen, record it, and just show us randomly picking. The post that comes up on uh, twelve months of vaults, yeah. What a score! I can't believe. How many times can we enter? Yeah, can you imagine how many haters. As many times as you like the answer that is. I, I just uh, ran past you the rules and conditions of the uh, comp and asked you how many times can one enter. Uh, I don't know. It's unlimited. As as many times as you want. Yeah. You can enter as many times as hair as as Volty has hairs on his back. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that's many many times Great. the thickest of hashtags <laughs> 12, hashtag 12 months of vaults folks there you go you, you heard it first fantastic alright vaults why don't you take a mirror to bed and wake up to yourself keep in touch with yourself man stay aggressive Australia there you go